Yeah, and and you know, as somebody who works with concert venues, uh, I know how hard putting this year back together was for them, because the light switch turned on and everybody wanted to go to on tour on the same day. Right, like the minute sure, that sure. they could, everybody yeah, wanted right. to go. So trying to figure out how to balance that out, like so if you're trying to book weddings, yeah, the first year that everyone <laughs> could book a wedding. But oh. like you know, outside of New York or L.A. or maybe Chicago, like if you're mad that your favorite band yeah. isn't coming to your town anymore, just give it a year. Like it oh, yeah. was, it, you have to figure out the logistics unless the band, there's like what, maybe 15 or 20 bands. Take a road trip. Big enough yep. to like fly, but everybody else. Yeah. You gotta, They're you gotta drive. Go to yep. the next major city over wherever yep. you're, you're located. Or but also I want to say, I want to tip my cap to everyone who canceled an event because it was a, they did a public service. Yes. It was I, the right thing to do. I have a lot sure. of respect for it. Yeah. I'm not okay. like, I'm not saying this because I'm upset at it as listeners of the show probably know. Oh yeah. All right. Well, but we if are you, here. If you but, were upset, you yeah. know, it would help. Some dash fire alcohol. I was going to say, oh. like, I mean, six <laughs> some, shots. Some ready to drink. And six thoughts. Six, six, six shots, shots and, thoughts. and six thoughts. Let's, well, we're going we're to have more than six thoughts unless we drank six <laughs> shots before we started. <laughs> Even then, you know it would be There's worse. There's a lot. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, we're, we're back at the, the classic confines of Club Caraway, my favorite cigar lounge on earth. Cigars in hand. Amazing. Yep. Beverages in hand. Thank yep. you for this, by the way, Ben. This is, this is amazing. Uh, it's an honor to have you here. And I guess before we go any farther, we should probably uh, kick it over to introduce everybody to the third voice on this episode. Yes. Uh, my, good, my good friend, my longtime friend, would you please introduce yourself and let everybody know uh, what you're doing? Yeah. Hello. My name is Jeff Rogers. Uh, I am part of Dashfire uh, Distillery and Cocktail Room. And we j- kind of just announced in the last uh, two days. Uh, we are in a very familiar spot that most people know from the cocktail world and distillery world. Uh, our great friends at Tattersall uh, had moved part of their operation on over uh, on the other side of the river. And that venue is amazing. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of gave the opportunity for uh, Lee and Don Egbert uh, to kind of check out the space. And they were currently in Minnetonka at the time. And they looked at it and was like, well, it's already built out for a distillery. Uh, you know, I mean, it just makes it that much easier. And they pulled the trigger, and we started talking. And uh, next thing I know, I'm a part of Dashfire and oh, the whirlwind that cool. is Lee and Don Egbert because they are amazing humans. They are. Uh, this kind of this swept me by surprise. I heard nothing about it until today. It's actually a fun bit of serendipity. We had another guest planned today, and we've been wanting to have you on for some time. And all these things were happening. And I just sent a link over to Quam of Stephanie March's article that came out today about the opening. And I just said to Quam, uh, have, have Jeff Rogers on soon? <laughs> and an hour later, he calls me and is like, hey, so uh, we're going to have Jeff Rogers well, so the, on the, the, the funny part about that, uh, the, guest that, the guest that we were going to have. next week, but fuck it. <laughs> the guest that we were going to have on tonight had some personal stuff go down. And so we're going to have him on uh, very, very soon. So I'm happy to hear that. And uh, I, I obviously, my heart goes out to him. Um, but I was on the phone with him when, when you texted me, Charles. Yeah. And I hung up the phone and I had You're heard like, some rumblings <laughs> about this, but I had not heard your name attached to it. Mm-hmm. And so I saw what you wrote. I clicked on it. I read through yeah, the Yeah, were you first, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> first paragraph. And I was like, yep, called you and, and here you are. Uh, full yeah. disclosure to uh, our listeners out there. Uh, Jeff and I have worked together on and off. For almost 20 years? Almost 20 years. Which is mind-blowing. Yep. Uh, going back to the, the TGI Fridays days. Yeah, that's I've where been, I first met you. Holy yep. crabs. 
<laughs> I have been uh, I've been a fan of yours and and a friend of yours, and it's honestly I'm just very honored to have and you vice on versa. because it's a blast to get to talk about life with somebody that you care about, but also your career arc is fascinating and is exactly kind of what our our listeners are into. It's, it's kind of fascinating that you said that because uh, Steph walked in yesterday to have this conversation with us yeah. about the Stephanie distillery. Marsh. Yeah, Stephanie yep. Marsh. Yep. Before we get to the podcast, and an we got to make writer. sure we give her a shout out. Uh, and she walked in and her face was just like, it, her jaw just hit the floor and her eyes just turned huge. And she just kind of stared at me. And then she looked at Lee. And then she looked at Rob. And then she, Rob Jones is who we're talking about here. So she didn't know what she was um, walking into. She did not know what she was walking into wow. because we were all kind of keeping it quiet because we were waiting for Hello. Lee to give the thumbs up to even announce that they had the space. Sure. We didn't think that it was fair to announce uh, the employment or the, the connection from the consulting aspect with them and then have him announce the space later. It just didn't seem right. Okay. Um, so we were just kind of laying low, just kind of waiting for Lee to give the thumbs up on the press release. And then once that went out, uh, just the floodgates opened in two days. I, uh, I met Lee, <clears throat> also in conjunction with you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Lee and where I met Charles. Uh, Lee was doing photography for the Iron Bartender yeah. way back oh, in wow. the day. And we started chatting. And uh, he put out, this is just a, a reminder to everybody out there. If you have the ability to help somebody when they need help, you'll never know what may come of it. But he put out a message on, I believe it was Facebook, and said that, the labeling machine had gone down for one of their first runs of bitters mm-hmm. and he had to get it to market. And if anybody could come and help, we could drink the whole time and he'll pay in product uh, just so that they can get the, these orders out. Yeah. So I went there, I don't know, it was like seven o'clock at night and I went there and we had, and how long ago was this? Oh, six, he started seven. Dashfire uh, almost 10 and a half years ago. So this the 10 year anniversary is actually coming up, I guess. Wow. I was, I yeah, was, they've been, I mean, Dashfire has been around for a very long time. Yeah. I was dating my wife. So Relatively it must've been, speaking. it must've been nine, eight or nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I went out there and I, it's impossible not to see, to feel his vision. I shouldn't say see it cause I can't see how he sees it, but to feel his vision of where it's going and what he wants to do. And just to get like excited about it. And yeah. then the more you talk to, to him and obviously his partner as well, like you just, those are the people you want to root for. A hundred percent. That is definitely what drew me to it. I mean, the first conversation that I had with them before we ever even talked about kind of, cause they didn't know that I was even interested mm. uh, at, at all at the time. And he brought it up and, and he says to me, Hey, in the last 12 years, you know all the things we talked about at all the little cocktail conferences that we went to or whatever? Because uh, him and I taught a lot together in Grandview Lodge and whatever. Uh, he goes, what if we did them? And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, what, about, what if we just did all those things? And I was like what, like, what is this possibility? And then, boom, the conversation started sparking up. Amazing. Uh, and then while we were sitting there again talking to Steph and, and we we're looking around and we we're like, well, we got Lee's brain, which is just this creative entrepreneurial uh, I don't even know how, like spider web basket yeah. where he just has things going on and he just catches them and he just kind of pulls them in and, you know, figures out. And then Don is always there to say like, hey, that can't happen right now. You know, and he's like, cool, I'll stuff that down. Uh, but then she kind of looked at, at Tyler and she was like, okay, well, Tyler had a Marvel, you know, Pip background. Uh, then there's Rob who had kind of the back of the house chef driven into uh, Brad Street and the Toby Maloney connection with Violet Hour and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then she looks at me and she goes, 
and you're like a calico cat. You're just like from all over the goddamn place. No. Uh, you know, like like Fridays and whatever. And uh, funny thing is, is that Lee jumps in and Lee was like, well, you know, don't talk. And I was like, no. And he goes, what do you mean, no? And I said, never once did I work at nope. Town Talk, but a lot of people think I do because I was there a lot. All of our friends were yeah. there. Yep. <laughs> we love that place. So they just assumed. And it brought me kind of back to a story originally when we were opening Parlor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, what, 2013, I mm-hmm. want to say? And we were opening Parlor, and uh, I was working the front well. Chad Moreau was to my left. Denver's uh, finest. Denver's finest. Uh, Breckenridge, shout. Oh, sorry, Breckenridge. But via Denver. Uh, and he was to my left and this girl had, you know, she was really excited. The cocktail movement was kind of a new thing. You know, town talk was really the one you had eat street. Uh, we're going to talk about Manhattan at some point in time, <laughs> by the way, say, come uh, on, man, you can't, we're going to touch into that. Cause I feel like that's the gem that was left out in yeah, the world yeah. uh, of the cocktail that world. That was the band that didn't make it. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, we were there for some shows and some openings yep. and, and whatnot, but, uh, didn't cut the mustard <laughs> in the grand scheme, but, uh, we did win. The first ever best cocktail menu. Yep. Uh, I think there was some cocktail menu stuff like in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. But of the new, um, wave. but of the new kind of golden age, we were the first ones to win that, uh, and it's I'm very proud of that. And we can talk about that at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but so you're kind of looking at what this like group of people are doing, and what I find interesting is that a lot of times when we get into bar openings or we get into cocktail making or or spirit making, uh, a lot of us come from the same angle. Mm-hmm. And that's very difficult to try to actually catch faults or, or things that somebody else might find uh, not palatable uh, in the grand scheme. And myself, Tyler, and Rob and Lee come from four totally different angles, and we're kind of correcting each other at all times. Uh, and the other part is there's zero egos there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's just, it's conversation. I, that, it, it's just wonderful to hear that. And, you know, and again, it's, it's so cool to get to take a step back and look at the amount of history that in one market you all represented such like different chunks of. And I hope, I hope that I'm seeing things like this coalesce in other cities too, in other markets. It's been really fun now that, because a, a lot of us were so young and dumb when the cocktail wave first crashed across America. And I don't know it as well across Europe, but my, my few friends in the craft cocktail scene in Europe... I, I feel like it's kind of the same thing. Everybody broke out and then each bar was like hot shit for a little while. And then everybody realized that they were burned out and didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Management and ownership never knew how to support in the, in the very beginning. They didn't yep. know what to do. And we kept trying to figure out how to get it right and get it right. And it was almost like we all had to also grow up in our own lives enough to figure out how to manifest a vision. And I keep seeing groups coming back together now mm. in other cities and in our city and saying, hey, I'm good at this. You're good at this. We've gotten drunk at 3 a.m. after counting tails down and talked about this forever, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Let's get good. Maybe let's, let's give it a shot. You know, we're all a little bit more financially stable. We're a little bit more personally stable, mm-hmm. to speak for myself. And now let's try and, and make something out of it. Yes. That. And it's a beautiful thing. And I hope not all of us. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I hope that 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 the drinkers out there that are listening to this are also excited about that because what you're gonna end up with is a, a much better run and healthier version of what we tried to do back then without having to fight for access to all of these spirits. Yeah. To actually have most of them in our market and to not have to start at day one with trying to 
tell people what we're pouring in their drinks. Yeah. You know, now our, like the, the casual drinker out there is so much more educated mm. than, than we were 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, even 10 years ago, and bringing up the yeah. word Amari. Yeah. I mean, that, you lost right. 50%, yep. if not more, people. Yep. With, with every passing day, yep. you know? And also personal experience, mm -hmm. it, the beauty of manifesting a vision, the further along and the more you've had to learn, would you have felt ready to do this 10 years ago? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's almost like the perfect storm. And if you're out there listening, and either if you do work in the industry or, or not, uh, when you read a, a blog or you see a tweet about something like this happening in your community, like go support it. And don't just go there for like friends and family in that first night, like go and keep supporting that. Cause a lot of times this is like the vision that we had back then, but now it's ours. Yeah. It's not, we're allowed to work there for minimum wage and hope it works out. And then if it doesn't and we get tossed, they keep everything. Like mm -hmm. now there's a little bit more ownership of, of everything. And I think it's even more important, just like we say with chefs, you know, when your favorite chef goes out and uses his own money to open his own place, it's almost doubly important to go in and support that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, he or she, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, yeah, no, regulars are the lifeblood of any business. You can't just have the turnstile spinning all the time. That's not, that does not a business make. Nope. Facts. And, and it comes full circle. And that's what I really love what you just said was that when we first started out um, kind of at the beginning of the cocktail movement. I mean, Ben, ben and I came from, you know, nightclubs mm -hmm. and, and family restaurants. Uh, Give me that server you know, well, baby. TGI Fridays, and you were at Copeland's for a while. Yeah. And we loved Copeland's, you know, and these were things. I mean, I was at, I opened Hard Rock. Like, we put dry ice in drinks, baby. Nightclubs, yeah. family yeah. restaurants. We did weird things, and family you know. Clubs. We did really weird things. <laughs> but all of that time was about the experiences that we were giving. Yeah. It was the party that we were making. It was, we weren't the show. Mm -mm. You know, when it came to that, it was the, the dance floor was the show. Mm -hmm. The party was the show. And then we kind of yeah. got into that craft cocktail world and, and we, we did ourselves such a great service by emphasizing the growth of yep. what we do. Yep. Because for a long period of time, I mean, how many of us got the question, what are you actually going to do for a living when you grow yeah, up? Exactly. You know? And so there was a chip on our shoulder to a certain extent to prove to people that, hey, this isn't a just fly-by-night job. This is a real thing. And we really put an emphasis on knowledge, right? And we really pushed knowledge. And we really wanted people to get to knowledge. And that was awesome because so many people became educated, including guests. But then all of a sudden, you fast forward five to eight years later, and there was kind of this disconnect between the guest. There was more about... Anytime you walked into a place, there was somebody that was like, I'm ready to tell you everything I know about this bourbon. Mm -hmm. And the person was like, I just asked you how you're doing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I, I think to know the selective ability in any sales job, mm -hmm. that knowledge is power. But knowledge is there to get you a better job mm -hmm. or to do a better job, not to prove that you know things. Yes. Have you ever oh, gone yeah. to a doctor and the doctor's like, oh, it's your knee. That's from page 264 from the 1937 Matlock's <laughs> Knee Encyclopedia, right? Oh, but clearly yet, you haven't read Johnson. <laughs> All right, well. Right? And like, oh, I don't believe in that one. Yeah, it's, you're right. Johnson was the way to go. He was but a like, hack. That's what happened, right? Is we ended up debating 1930s cocktail books. This one's right. That one's wrong. Yeah, this one's yeah. not okay. Yeah. This one's okay. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. But the grand scheme was that we were in business because of guests. Mm-hmm. Right. And Charles, I think you're a perfect example of that. Like the, when you go out to places, you go out to experience what they're giving. You don't just tell yourself and, and I hope I'm not like pushing something onto you. But when I watch your Instagram stories or talk to you about you going out, you are trying to experience what that owner 
or that chef was trying to envision for their property, sure, yeah. right? Yeah. In the That's grand scheme of things. That's how you get things. the most faithful experience, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we need to get back to a lot more of that. I'm not saying that it's not happening. Yeah, yeah I think it is. definitely happening. I think it is. Um, yeah. For sure, yep. 100%. Uh, but when we get to a... A hundred percent. And it's all about that guest again. And I'm not saying that you have to bend over backwards for them because I don't believe in the customer is always right. Uh, but I do believe that they're never wrong per se, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, sure. But we have to get back to that, like that hosting, that hosp- that hospitality mm-hmm. aspect to where somebody feels like they have to stop somewhere because they need to say hi to X or need to grab that one little cracker or grab that one little, you know, snack or whatever it may be. Yeah. I just, I want to see it there again. So, Jeff, before we dig into our questions, could you just give us a little bit of a rundown on the, the operation so that our listeners can, can hear a little bit about what's forthcoming? Uh, for Dashfire in there? Yes. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you on that one part there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, the distillery is up and production sides are all up. We got the licensing for all of that. Uh, we are now in the process of building out the cocktail room. <clears throat> the cocktail room itself is uh, what the old... Uh, uh, event space was for Tattersall. So they had built out that, that whole back area uh, because Tattersall's cocktail room is still there. Um, they're still running that. They're still doing that. Sure. We have nothing to do with that side of the building. Uh, so now it's going to be about getting together that cocktail room. Uh, we're working on uh, cocktails and ideas. And what I love about working with Lee uh, and I'm shocked that Stephanie Marsh actually used the quote, but I mentioned that when we're in the bars that we're in, a lot of times we get the same puzzle pieces, Campari or, you know, Sapphire, and, and we know what those puzzle pieces are. We know where they fit. We know what cocktails they go with, mm-hmm. and you almost get forced into a box because you're like, well, wait a minute, this is what this does. This is the cocktail I'm trying to end up with, and this is how it has to come out, and if I don't make it that way, somebody that's a cocktail nerd or somebody will say, hey, that's not right. You don't really do that. likes the thing a certain way. Well, we're kind of trying to throw that entire box away. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out a way to not. Of course, you're going to have to stick with classics. I mean, you have to kind of use that as a building block and a branch from that. Pillars or, or classics or whatever you want to call them. Sure. And a reminder but, that not everybody is sick of those. No, not like at all. A lot of people. There, there's a reason why they're classics. Correct. A hundred percent. I mean, I would say arguably my favorite cocktail in the world is a daiquiri. I mean, yeah. just the bartender's handshake. It's just beautiful, you know, rum, lime, and sugar. Give Simple as that. We don't need to mess that up. But at the same point in time, we're kind of looking at uh, trying to figure out a way. Maybe a lot of times we end up with products or ingredients we want to use, and then you try to figure out how to fit them into a cocktail. Some of the stuff that we're kind of thinking about now is we're trying to come up with a cocktail and then actually design the ingredients around the cocktail. That's amazing. And that's the goal. Sure. Less of a box, more of a rubber room. Yep. Exactly. Uh, so the goal me. is, yeah. you know, sometime early November uh, is what okay. we're shooting for. Of course, right. in a restaurant, in a bar biz, you never know, depending on licensing and the government and all that stuff. But we're trying our butt sure. off to kind of open up there so that first week in November. Arrow. Cool. Love to hear it. I'm, I'm really excited for it. And then what did you bring for us to drink? Yeah. I, I believe I said to you that I don't know what a... a I don't remember the quote, but maybe I don't know abundance or because uh, I brought a lot uh, just to show you guys, uh, you know, what we could possibly have. Uh, we started uh, with the golden latte, which is a canned cocktail. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, made in conjunction with uh, five watt. Uh, Lee has been working with the five watt coffee boys uh, for quite a while. 
Uh, they're really, really good people. We, uh, he bottles their bitters as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we have access to that that we can use because they are produced and made in the cocktail sure. room. We get to use those in the cocktail room as well. That was the, so, uh, that was the first place that I ever had a barista add bitters to a coffee for me, and it opened up a whole new world. And I have never stopped since then. Like at my house, it's always a constant trend to figure out what else I can do to coffee. Yeah. And it was all because somebody, you know, I was in the middle of an afternoon buying mm -hmm. a $5 coffee. And they took three seconds to say, hey, can I suggest something to you? Mm -hmm. And that was it. It goes back to the hospitality. Group. I love them. I will support they're, that company forever because yeah. of that moment. They're great people. They're yeah. just great people. They really uh, care about what they're putting out. Uh, they do the due diligence, and they just treat people right, you know, in the grand scheme. Five what's good, good people. I'm just thinking about that. I don't want coffee. <laughs> uh, have you ever there's, had... There's some... Coffee beverages in oh, here yeah. beyond the oh, we'll latte. <laughs> Have you ever had tonic and coffee together? Yes. It's one oh, of my favorite I mean, combinations it's, it's in the world. It's all I was drinking in Mexico. Yeah. It's, I, I can't understand why tonic cold press or tonic espresso hasn't caught on in the U.S. the way that it should. So haven't perfected, but that's one thing we're working on right now is I've been working on a quinine espresso martini. Oh, perfect. Hell yeah. So trying to see that. where that goes. Um, but we got a lot of the RTDs. I do have some sippers for you, some uh, experimental stuff that we're working on to finalize. One of them is one stage away from finalization. Uh, the other ones are a couple of, couple of stages away. Cool. But I want you to be kind of a part of the process and see what we're kind of doing. But it's awesome. really a botanical heavy. That's what we're searching for and kind of looking for. We have a botanist on staff. Uh, he's an employee. Awesome. Um, he's going to take care of all of the plants that we have. Uh, you can't grow any plants in the cocktail room that can be used for production. Uh, at all. So we're going to have some kind of ornate plants that'll be in there so we can show people like just the structure of plants. Uh, but we'll have a little bit of a grow room that's going to be in the operations part. To go back for one hot second, for those of you listening out there that don't know, uh, RTD is a ready to drink like a cocktail. So oh, yeah. the canned cocktails that you see that are, are kind of exploding across the country uh, now outpacing the seltzer growth. Um, that's just, that's, it's the next phase of what's out there. So if you haven't experimented around a lot, we've come a long way since like 20 years ago when you could get a Bacardi and Cola in a can. Yeah. This is a wildly different world. It's been it's wildly different. Been quite a big deal on the East coast, upper East coast for uh, a number of years. And it's starting to take hold elsewhere. Um, mm. I would say to varying levels of success. Yeah. These, you know, not to denigrate anyone else's works, but I do drink the Dash Fire RTDs, and I feel like they are actually cocktails in a can. I agree. Where some, mm -hmm. for me, are glorified hard seltzers. Yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, it tastes good, but you gave me a hard seltzer, and you charged me $4 more per can. Yep. So I, I, I want to see more development there, and I want to see more products like this. But for now, if you are able to access these products, the, the Dash Fire RTDs are really good. Mm. It's kind of crazy, too, because in America, we generally say that we're ahead of the curve for a lot of things. Mm. And RTDs is one thing that we're way behind on Wolf because behind. Japan, Southeast Asia, they have had canned cocktails since the day they were invented. A lot of it's licensing, <laughs> you know, too. State licensing yep. is, you know, varies state to state. And in a lot of foreign countries, they're like, oh, you want to put a cocktail in a can? Help yourself. I, mean, I think that lent itself to being ahead of us in that regard as well. Sure. Do you think that has anything to do with just how fucking weird our country is yes. about alcohol? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah. That's it's really strange, right? I didn't, right? I didn't even need to answer that. It's like they want the money because of the tax aspects of it, but then it's like, it's bad, it's bad, but do more of it because we want the money. Founded by cultists. 
anyway, <laughs> before we get into a 1776 fight. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I have uh, a little bit of the RTD Manhattan in my glass. Uh, does everybody else have a little something? Should we cheers? And yeah, I'm going to cheers with the latte. So let's cheers uh, the remainder of this, and then I'll pour something else, and I'll cheers. ask our first cheers. question. Cheers. 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 Also, shout out to our incredibly beautiful crowd this evening. Cheers to that. We have yeah. some beautiful, gallery. beautifully dressed and handsome uh, audience members this evening. Uh, Charles, I think you kick it off on this one. Let's dive in. All right, Mr. Rogers. As right. we wrap up watercraft and cabin season here in the north, at least, uh, I'd like to ask, what is your favorite lake, ocean, or water sport activity? Interesting. Um, and for all of our listeners, I am in fourth grade and I did hear water sports differently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I would say like here growing up, going to cabins, going to lakes, uh, tubing, kneeboarding, uh, is always fun. It's, I don't know if it's more fun actually kneeboarding or if it's more fun to be the person on the back of the boat that watches somebody just eat shit. Right. (laughs) You know, it's like a combination of that. Uh, but that's for sure. But I will say I, I did live in uh, Grand Cayman for just under two years. Uh, and when I was there, like the parasailing and the deep sea fishing were second to none. And uh, scuba diving by far is my favorite thing to do in the water. I've never scuba dived in lakes or anything around here. It's only been ocean stuff. Yeah. You only found like uh, murk and dead to do bodies. It. But, but I have to be a little yeah, careful yeah. uh, with because I do have a heart issue, uh, if you will, that I, uh, that I have to be cautious about when scuba diving. So I can only go... To a certain oh, level. Mm. I, uh, I also have a medical condition that keeps me from scuba diving completely. I have a crooked ear canal, and I oh, can't regulate sure. pressure oh, no. after about 12 to 15 feet. Oh, and, sure. uh, unfortunately, I found that out the hard way. What, do you take on water, or does it? No, um, pressure builds up because yeah. my ear can't release. And so, What's the effect of that? Uh, eventually, it would explode. Mm. And oh, I'd, yeah, we don't want that. Well, and I'm already m- mostly deaf in that ear, yeah. so that would kill everything. I'm, I'm down to, like, just the mid-tones left, and that would kill everything. It's also excruciating, um, and that was, uh, that was a solid half an hour of me truly, I- I'm sorry to say this to all of our listeners, I was fantasizing about pushing a screwdriver into my ear mm. because I thought, the immediate pain of that, but then the release of the pressure would be better than not knowing when it was going to end. So uh, that will always be a forbidden pleasure of mine. Sure. I snorkel like crazy whenever I'm somewhere nice, and that's good enough for me because Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm kind of scuba, kind of naked. You're in that world, yeah. yeah. I am. But for me, uh, my favorite thing on earth is opening up a jet ski or a wave runner. And I don't care if it's on an ocean or uh, on a lake. I've done both. I just love, I'm, I love the idea of a motorcycle and I love the idea of a snowmobile, but the idea that if I lose focus on something, which mm. happens all <laughs> the time, for any of you that have listened to this show, you know that's true. Uh, I'm so mortified that that ends up with me in a tree or under a semi. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just, that's not a risk that I really want to take. But on a jet ski, like really, because I don't go out when it's like, like 4th of July and every boat is out mm-hmm. everywhere. But I'm fortunate enough to um, have an incredible family in my in-laws that have a place in northern Minnesota. And it's a, a pretty chill lake most of the time. It's, it's huge. And I'll let her rip. And honestly, every now and then, I'll just literally bail. Because I think it's really fun to like jump into the water at 35 miles an hour. It's, 100%. Like when you're my size, when you're six foot five and pushing 300 pounds, 
to skip across the water is kind of a fun thing. <laughs> like I always imagine that I, like I'm a turtle. Uh, <laughs> But it's also like, I will just bury it if I know that there's no boats coming anywhere in my, in my field of vision. I will bury that needle and I'll go as far as I can. And that little rush of adrenaline, it reminds me of like when I skied a lot when I was younger. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the very few times that you by yourself can go that fast and feel like it's kind of you. Did you, you know? ever have the moment where you fell and the bracelet or wrist bracelet thing went off has not or did not unclip no i have not had that <laughs> that, that thanks for introducing that fear yeah <laughs> uh so i went to a my dad's softball tournament when i was like 14 or 15 years old and it was a, a guy that he was working with that it was their cabin some uh i want to say it's called waterama possibly in alexandria that sounds like something i want to say do. is what it is Waterama. uh and sure enough so we're out there we're jet skiing we're doing things uh myself and uh my dad's buddy's son are doing it and then his son jumped off when he did that but the velcro unzipped on his wrist Ooh. so it just kept going and it just went into the dock and then That's rode cool. the dock and then just went yeah. up the beach like a missile it <laughs> yeah happens. it sure did a self-propelled torpedo yeah it was bad i also i will say going back to your tubing thing uh i get crap from my family because i don't find tubing as fun anymore because mm -hmm. i i used to love like being on the tube but yep. now at my height over half of my body is just <laughs> in the water and when, so you just have legs skipping. Well, yeah, and it's like, and the first thing to hit when you tube. go back down, it's like my yeah. toes and then my genitals. And yeah. that's not a lot of fun. Just crotch slap. Crotch so what slap. I say is, is the the perfect arc of a tubing family is that eventually you move from player to coach, and then you just mm. move to the boat. Right. Well and done. Now, you know, I'll, my my father in law still bless his heart still drives the boat, but I will just chill in back with a drink in my hand, and I will laugh hysterically and take pictures as my, uh, my nephews and niece go flying. And that's great. <laughs> that is so much fun. And I will do that all day long. Because, like, I know what it's like to be out there on the field. I know yeah. what it's like to take those hits. <laughs> I know. But you know what? My body doesn't let me do it anymore. <laughs> we went uh, three weekends ago, uh, our mutual friend Gavin Rydell. Yeah. Uh, he's got a wake surfing boat. Uh, so we were kind of dialing that in because he had never gotten really the wake dialed in to actually surf. Uh, and I wasn't doing the surfing, but two other people were. And we finally got that whole thing kind of grooved in and watching two people like surf behind a boat without holding on to anything. Uh -huh. And they were keeping up with us. Yeah. It was crazy. That's I had wild. never seen anything like that. Also, remind me post-show, this is foreshadowing that I wanted to do on the mic. Uh, there's some kind of cool news coming, but remind me to, to talk to you about, okay. about G. Uh, Charles, what about you? What's, what's your favorite part of water sports? Chuckling, he's he can't hold himself back. I'm again. I am. I am a, a ju junior mm -hmm. high kid at best. Yep, hidden tapes. Uh, I one of the reasons I wanted to present this topic is because I have recounted on multiple occasions on the pod how I don't like splashing around in the water. Mm -hmm. I liked it a little bit when I was a kid, but and I can swim and the whole shebang. I just it's not really my thing. I prefer to be water adjacent or water on. So the easy answer for me is just. Coasting around on a boat, drinking, smoking cigars, yeah. eating charcuterie. I like to be the captain in the boat and uh, have people waking around and then make sure that, you know, you're, you're looping around the waves and you're making drinks for people and handing it to them while they're on tubes. Usually it's my wife and a few friends and I'm just chilling on the boat with a dog or seven and making <laughs> drinks for people and smoking a cigar with my sunglasses on. Like that's, that's my absolute favorite. Would you consider having a matching boat captain's hat with me? I don't like 
captain's hats. I will wear one as a gag for about 10 minutes, and then I'm like, <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, Every yeah, day my favorite. in the that's, summer. That's my brother. JP loves he, – he's got like – He's got like the baseball cap that looks like the captain. Sure. Hat, oh, know? sure. He likes he likes that whole vibe. It's not really my thing. I I will wear it in honor of you. Then I, I okay. fight with it every day when it's nice out. I just want I want to casually. <laughs> I just wear want. It. Cap- I love you it. Can, you can be the captain. Why wouldn't you want a yacht? Whether you're the actual captain or not. Yes. You know. <laughs> you can just point and click or what have you, and I'll, <laughs> I'll coast around. But yeah, no. There's, there's nothing I love more than that, and that's one of my favorite things to do at all. So the fact that I don't like splashing around or sitting in a tube or things of that nature is offset by my enjoyment of like, man, out in the open air with cigar in hand, beverage in your other hand, there's not a lot that can beat that. Mm-hmm. If someone like pushed you in and then you kind of had to splash around for a little while, would you go full like Billy Corgan on a roller coaster sad? Or would you be like, haha, funny, and then get back on the boat? Uh, I probably would just be upset I was overpowered, but that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. Uh, that's if, fair. If someone managed to get me yeah. in the water. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just, yeah, I don't care for it. I don't have a taste for it. I, not, you know, we got wet. Now we got to dry off. I don't really get it. My cigar is up there. I can't access it down here. <laughs> just mm-hmm. be, I'd rather have the wind blowing through my beard and a cigar. And that's fair. On my lip. I think that's very understandable. Do you use more Ziplocs for your take home lunch or for a boat trip? I've got my keys in a Ziploc. I've got my wallet in a Ziploc. I've got oh, like sure. 75 Ziplocs in my backpack no, to make sure nothing I, gets wet. I never, yeah, I never think about that part for my actual personal effects, but the, the charcut and such, absolutely. I got the backpack Yeti that you put oh, yeah. a little various accoutrement in, but you're doing the same thing if you're going on a picnic. Mine got stolen and I'm still sad about it. Oh. Oh, you had a Yeti backpack that got yep. stolen? Those things are pricey too. Well, yeah, I used, it, uh, I used it for beer samples. And uh, I, I was launching uh, a brewery in Wisconsin and I left it sitting on a bar and I went outside and then I ran into a friend and he's like, hey, come over here with me real quick. And honest, it's my bad. I forgot. And then the we, perfect con. we ordered a beer at the other bar. It was across <laughs> the parking lot. It's a guy I think someone will take 10 times out of 10. Yep. <laughs> and we literally ordered a beer and I was like, oh shit, my backpack. And I went back and she gone. Yeah, got my happen. name embroidered on the strap. Like I just oh, want to no. find that guy. Hey, Surly, that's the uh, worst. Some Surly branded Yeti backpacks would be wonderful for. Hey, Mr. I, I can't complain. I have a, a really beautiful Arctic uh, hard sided cooler for all my samples. That was uh, it was a very very nice thing from for my company. So I just got to figure out. I guess got to bite the bullet and buy another one and then yeah. remind myself. Maybe I'll get the the Velcroed uh, accordion wire to it, like the Ooh. jetpack. Yeah, where I I can't get out yeah. of it. It just comes with me if I walk <laughs> it too just far. Follows away. you around like the child leash. <laughs> That's what so, I need. So, Charles, have you done a snackle box yet? Then a who? The snackle box. I have. What's what's a snackle box? Where you do the charcuterie, but you do it in a brand Ta- new tackle box. Oh no! I it's the best. Not. It's waterproof. Like everything stays separate. Your sounds, pickles are in that compartment. Your sounds fun. Sounds fun. I yeah. like to bring everything and then put it on, like in a pontoon where you have the table in the middle. Yep. Have it all set out like an actual charcuterie. Oh, yeah. Experience. Uh, Just graze all day. Yeah. There's a, a company in Minneapolis here on the Mississippi River called Minneapolis Water Taxi, and one of the three docks that they use in the um, upper reaches of the river, or actually the only ones that they use at all. Uh, one of those docks is my dock behind my office uh, at Patmos Design, where uh, the sample room restaurant is also located. Mm. So my wife and I love to book them and have them come and pick us up 
right on the dock there. You know, sometimes we'll have a light dinner and a glass of wine, and then we'll jump on the boat, and they have a nice electric power. They have two of them, uh, electric-powered pontoons, that have the bench that runs all the way around, like a nice long table in the back with the cup holders in it, and you can do the whole spread. So you can have, like, a, a meal if you want. You could wow. You could set out an entire meal. The only thing I don't like about it is I don't let me smoke cigars. But yeah, I do like having the, you know, we pop some really nice bottles of wine and, and make a whole spread of charcuterie and just coast around the Mississippi River for a couple hours. Real talk, you've been doing the snack box for a while, right? Snack-a-box? Yeah. I, I, I honestly only heard of it, like, during the pandemic at some point. Okay, somebody from back in the heyday of we had nothing else going on when mm-hmm. we weren't working, somebody introduced me that from our group at Lake Calhoun. Really? Or, sorry, Bidet Macasca. It was Calhoun then, now Bidet Macasca. Yep. Uh, that is... I, I got to figure out who that was because that was, yeah, I, I was, was just that? thinking about it. It was, we, we took over one of the volleyball courts and I was grilling and then I heard somebody yell snackle box and then just busted it out. It was not full charcuterie though. It was like candy and like lunchable. Oh, shit. well, nonetheless, what? I mean, as long as, I mean, I'd accept that more than just the random using the charcuterie word for everything. Like I, my, I think it was my cousin was like, I made a pancake charcuterie board. No. And I was like, what? No, you made pancakes. Yeah, you made pancakes and put them on wood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. Also weird. Like, <laughs> you spread out the pancakes to cool down. It's weird flex, bro. <laughs> weird flex. <laughs> now I'm going to hear this at the family reunion, too, for sure, because I called them out on it. I but heard what you said. Nonetheless. <laughs> no pancakes for you, motherfucker. <laughs> no. Hey. Never look a gift pancake in the mouth. Well, what should I... What, what, all right, so what should I drink next here? Well, yeah, hey, let's, let's uh, try a sip of something okay. here. We have uh, the I RTDs, believe, and we're going to keep going. I believe going uh, Derek is going to procure some auxiliary cups for us oh, for, perfect. for the, the, okay. the rest of the stuff, so we can pour another RTD. If that's the case, oh, then the we can definitely do arrived. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, let's do it. Uh, which one would you like us oh, we're to... Good. I would love to start out with the rhubarb amaro. Ooh, that's two things I, yeah. that I love. I can see it from here, and I am intrigued. I gave uh, a big shout-out to rhubarb on the last show, and I truly, truly believe in it. Yes. Oh, Gracias. that's beautiful. I, just seeing the, that liquid streaming across mm. the light there, what a beautiful color. Yeah, <laughs> it's all right, Jeff. You couldn't talk anyway because you're not on the mic. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a like a a reddish, like slightly know. cloudy, yeah, dark red, almost brownish. It smells wonderful, like a like a like a port almost where it has that yeah. halfway between mm-hmm. like burgundy and amber mm-hmm. in there. Yes. Oh, the nose on that! You can get the rhubarb. Get onto this here. Uh, this is uh, Spencer is the one that's in charge of all production matters uh, at Dashfire, and he's just a wonderful human being. He's great to talk to, uh, jovial man for sure, uh, and wonderful. And this was, uh, I think he did probably about six to eight iterations, okay. uh, and then we finally kind of narrowed down those iterations, and then this was kind of the fifth go towards the finalization um, of it, and this is the one that we have closest to. Here, so it'd be great to hear you guys' feedback on what can do. But right on, this is our rhubarbo or rhubarbo tomorrow. Cheers! We <laughs> just want to call it rhubarbo. <laughs> yep. Yes. Cheers. Boy, that's just 
that's pretty wonderful. Mm. Yeah, that's exceptional. So oh, it's really yeah. hard in that category, right? Because there's uh, Zuka is probably the most known rhubarbo on the planet um, with Sufmato uh, mm-hmm. being kind of right behind that, a little bit more approachable when it comes to price point. A little bit more accessible, especially with Eric Seed being right here Isn't in the Sufumato Twin Cities. The, doesn't that have like a, a smoky note to that? There is a little smoky yeah. note. It's a little bit sweeter too. Yeah. Um, as well, and it, But it's not sweet. Right. I want to make sure people know that. Right. It's not sweet. It's just sweeter than the Zuka. Um, a little bit uh, on the flavor. I, I don't know the actual bricks of it uh, itself, but uh, his goal was to kind of not to recreate one of those, but to come up with his own brand. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard when you're looking at something, you know, just like yeah. anybody that says, I'm going to make a Fernet. You know, everybody's got right. uh, a Bronca on their head, but, you know, you yes. go to Argentina, the expectation gets and there's 700,000 Fernets out there, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, but everybody tries to compare it. Uh, in the grand scheme. So with that, he tried to do it in a way that it seemed like it kind of differentiated itself from some of those other ones. I, I do I do love it neat, but all I can think of right now is the things that I would want to put that in for a, a cocktail. Yeah. Like I want to I want to use that for depth in like in a Manhattan. Yep. Like I just finished yep. my pour of the RTD Manhattan mm. uh, and that was I, I just it begs for that. I, I want it does. that. Does yeah. Shares a lot of those same notes, right? Like yeah. kind of those dark fruit yep. kind but, of notes. But then having like the, the, that different flavor profile from the rhubarb instead of the cherry that we're all used to. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I don't know. I really, that's, that's spectacular. What I really like that he did here uh, is it finishes dry, but my mouth is watering. Mm. You know, there's some things that you drink and they're so dry that your palate is just aching dry or something mouth, after. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I need a glass of water. I need something. And then others are just so coating you're like, oh my God, I got to get this washed out of my mouth. And I think that this does a really good job at being dry and not leaving it, but yet still wanting you to have more and that you don't want to rinse it out. Yeah, I'm very impressed by that. Juan, what do you, you have in the, the small that's, can? Oh, that's that the, the other half of the Manhattan. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't really do a good job at pointing out if you wanted the other half. Otherwise, if you don't, there's another can of it in there. And there's, I will, yeah, there are plenty of it. selections. Well, then I'll consume it. At our behest. Yeah, help yourself. I'll, I'll select something else. Why don't you ask the next question? All right, maybe I will. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Uh, sports get a bad rap because of all of the toxic masculinity that we have associated with it as, yep. as culture has grown. And I'm glad that things are snapping back in that direction. Mm-hmm. But I also think that all of my time growing up playing sports helped mold me into the person that I am. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely some moments that I would love to have erased from those memories. But overall, I think I learned a lot about, about life and about who I am now from sports. I was wondering, is there, is there anything that you could tie from your past that, that playing sports helped you or even just passively watching sports yeah that's for sure i mean sports is definitely a major part of my life and it's kind of interesting that nowadays like i talked to two people and i don't remember uh where they were working or whatever and uh they looked at me and they're like you like sports don't you and i was like i do and they go yeah you can never work at our place and it was like a a badge of honor at their place and i appreciate that like the people need the places to go and i appreciate that they don't want to listen to stuff that they're not interested in that i that i totally appreciate um but it is part of who i am it's what i grew up i mean i grew up playing hockey i learned to skate before i learned to walk and that's literal that's not a figurative whatsoever i literally learned to skate before i learned to walk uh and then i played hockey from the time i was three years old till i was 23 so uh hockey for me will always be associated with the time that i spent with my father Mm. um as you know 
Uh, my father passed away 12 years ago. He was the biggest influence in my life. Uh, amazing my mom is an amazing human being, and I love her to, uh, you know, uh, more every day. And I'm so thrilled to still have her here. Um, but there was that bond with my dad during those sports that I, I got connected to him. And my dad was everything for me to teach me life. Um, he was that person. So I am just a version of him. Uh, and oddly, I learned golf from my grandfather, my dad's dad. And I remember the first time that I went with him, I hit a ball into a bunker. And as a child, I was like, I'm not going to go play in the sand. I just walked over to the sand and then picked up my ball and then put it on the grass and, you know, moved on. And my grandpa looked at me and he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, what? I just moved it. I don't want to hit out of there. And he goes, oh, is that what life is? And he uh, grabbed my ball and he threw it in the bunker and he kind of stepped on it. And he goes, this is life. You've got a hurdle in front of you right now and you have to figure it out. Please go. tell me you were like five. Uh, no, at that time, I was probably like 11 or 12. Eight, that's still... You know, something like yeah. that. But he really taught me the thing that you can't just skirt around your issues in life. And that really stuck with me, for sure. And I know that that sounds cheesy and cliche, but it's true. It, it just, it is what it is. He taught me to know that I can't run away from everything. I got to face it. And I got to get through it. And it's going to be ugly. And it's going to hurt. Or it's going to be great. But either way, you come out on the other side a better person. I love you know, that. So those are my two beautiful. things, hands down, yeah. that uh, for sports for me. That's that's incredibly beautiful. Arguably, yeah. that is a, a great age as a as a young man to to learn that, yep. or a young boy. But still, you know, that's a time when your your hormones are going to start really taking over yeah. your emotions. As someone then, who didn't learn that lesson at that age, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you that's that's a very powerful thing to learn at that something, age. Yeah, something you, know, you can it, recount upon. To be, to be fair, though, we are missing the obvious one, which is teamwork. Mm-hmm. It was like I, I, I didn't really play individual sports competitively. I played them myself against buddies, and, you know, I played golf, and we screwed around, but I was never on a team or anything like that. I think I played tennis once in high school, like my sophomore year or something, but that wasn't really that competitive. So the majority of it was team sports. And knowing that you can sit there and blame somebody or you can give somebody credit, but in the grand scheme of things, from start to finish, it took everybody to either lose or win Mm -hmm. uh and i think that that's huge especially in our industry Mm -hmm. because we come from an industry where nowadays it's way more reputable to do what we do than it was 30 years ago not saying that it wasn't reputable but the the overall world kind of felt like we were again back to that what are you going to really do when you grow up um but because of that you have so many different attitudes emotions and players and you know egos non-egos and you have to figure out how to work within that team and i always just told myself that i want to be a part of the team you know when we when we started drink uh you know i mean and and Manhattan. drink is a uh, a, a former bar slash nightclub in downtown minneapolis that if you were around for a certain period of time in the early 2000s was very influential on the scene yeah it sure was monday's service industry nights were insane but uh but that team aspect, I think, yeah. of sports is just enormous, especially for growing up and knowing that it's not always going to go your way. Mm-hmm. And you do have to support other people because if you support them, they're going to support you in your time of need, mm-hmm. you know? It's amazing. Uh, Charles, what about you? When I was younger, I played a lot of sports, won a championship in baseball, won a championship in basketball. Uh, I got to a point where... In, in high school, namely, where I just I think I felt like I didn't want to be a part of a team. I was, you know, that 
to speak to mm -hmm. a young man growing and emotions taking hold and not necessarily knowing how to control them. I sort of took myself out of wanting to be a part of a team with sure. uh, mostly strangers. I just, I didn't want to do it anymore. So I stopped playing team sports. But what I ended up doing, and this was a theme that sort of um, went throughout my teenage years was whatever my brother did as an activity with my, my younger brother did as an activity with my father not being around, I would be his, I was his assistant scout leader. I was his um, coach in basketball. So I'd say I learned a lot about what I was missing when I didn't want to play team sports via becoming uh, his basketball coach. So I was teaching or I was coaching um, to start out, I believe he was fifth or sixth grade basketball. And I was good at basketball and anytime I played him, I would dominate him when we were kids. It was, you know, this, that, that's the way it is. Your older brother is good at basketball and there's also some mental aspect there, but mm -hmm. every time we played basketball, I came out ahead. But then I, now I had to teach him to be as good at basketball as I was and a bunch of other kids that I either barely knew or didn't know at all. And I really took to it. Like it was, it was something that appealed to me on a level that I didn't know that it would. I started this program where I would select a player of the game and I'd give them a bottle of Gatorade or a bottle of soda, whatever it is that they, they wanted. And the kids really took to it. And then next thing you knew, I was just like super involved with their personal lives as yeah. well and making sure they were keeping up on their grades. And I was, thinking what what what's becoming me what is this why, why am I doing this especially so because it kind of sounds like a little bit when you're saying that that when you originally mm -hmm. kind of walked away from the team sports that it wasn't a selfishness aspect it wasn't like a hey I want to be for me mm -hmm. it was like you were trying to find what you did and you actually found that little chunk of gold if you will by sharing your knowledge with others yeah I I enjoyed playing sports and I was good at them I just didn't want to be a part of team sports at the time I wanted I wanted to do other things with my time when I was trying to balance what I wanted to do with my free time that was not something that appealed to me but I also wanted to look after my brother and so an opportunity presented itself where his team needed an assistant coach and I raised my hand and I became his coach and I think he benefited greatly from it he became a pretty damn good basketball player and the team performed pretty admirably and I gained a lot of just life lessons from that and leadership skills. Yeah. And those are things that in my current life, I probably gained a lot of uh, leadership skills just based on having to lead on that level at an age where you're not asked to lead literally anything. Right. You know, you're a 17 year old boy. No one's asking you to, right. to manage a store or right. a bar or a, be an art director or a creative director or an event organizer or anything of that nature. But I think that I went from having the, energy pulling me in an entirely other direction where I didn't want to be involved with the sense of community around sports. So I became involved in the sense of community around sports. It's, it's almost <laughs> ironic that I went about yeah. it that way, right? But uh, I absolutely loved it. I got MCYO coach of the year. Get it. Wow. Uh, second year coaching. Nice. Come on. And, it's amazing. Uh, there are, I, I frequently, now I wouldn't be able to, to, I wouldn't have the time for it. But for many years, I thought about going back to it just because I derived so much enjoyment from 
essentially like a nonprofit leadership position, mm-hmm. which is what that is in effect. And uh, I also took great pleasure in playing in the uh, coaches versus players games and just destroying <laughs> those kids. Just looking like that Peyton Manning kids. commercial when he's with all the kids, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just hitting them in the stomach. Yeah, oh, just. There was one game where, uh, to this day, my oldest friend, her name is Bay. Her father was a coach of one of the other teams. And I remember we had one of those games, the coaches versus players games, and he and I just took over. And the the parents were probably actually angry at how hard we were schooling on these kids because we were globetrotting on them. But I think everyone kind of, you know, started laughing and, and getting into it, including the kids. They They took it lightheartedly. We weren't humiliating anybody. There were no scuffed knees. But that's that I still think about that particular game. That was so much fun just schooling uh, on these kids. When I was <laughs> probably go ahead. I was going to say, all I can picture is you, Vince Carter in the Olympics, just like dunking <laughs> over some sixth graders. Just yeah, like crotched in the face of five of them. Shots. Five of them in a row, yes. setting up for the foul with the hand over the crotch. Like, no, 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 no. Oh, God. Sorry, that think, mental picture was so uh, great. When I was like 15 or 16, the father-son game, uh, I, I hadn't started high school hockey yet, so it was probably 15, and I was in my second year of Bantam hockey, like right before you get into high school. And we did the father-son game, and I was a goalie my whole life. Mm. I, I never did anything else, uh, whether mm. it be practice or whatever. I never skated past the blue line. Like, it wasn't a thing. I just Lazy. stayed in my net, did my thing. Well, for this father-son game, they threw out there like, why don't you actually be like a center or a winger? And, you know, because it doesn't count. It doesn't mm. matter. And I was like, that sounds great. Uh, my dad played goalie for the, for the dad's team. And then my best friend's dad, who went to high school with my dad, was our head coach. And he was out there, and I don't know what took over me, but that same kind of thing where I was like, I've never had this freedom before. <laughs> I hit that 60-year-old man <laughs> as hard as you can hit somebody. And he was about a foot and a half away from the boards. So when he lost his balance, (laughs) he fell that foot and a half and went right into the boards. And I've never seen anger in in (laughs) an old man's eyes. Not even from my dad, my grandfather, nothing. Like my best friend's dad that day. And he still does not let me live it down. It's still talked about to this day. I bet you don't let him him live it down either. It's fair because I actually was the only time I've ever checked anybody in my entire hockey career. But you made your one buddy's dad. That's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Oh man, that's I'm jealous of that. That's, <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, I uh, I kind of for me it was the first lesson that I learned, and it's still a lesson that I struggle with. But when I think about it, and being a sports fan now, it's the easiest connection to it for me. But I have such a tough time of letting the last play go and moving forward. Yeah, like I it affects me if I screwed something up, it sticks with me. And that was the first time that I learned you got to dust it off and you got to go and be a goldfish. Yeah, exactly. You got to be a goldfish. And as an, uh, an offensive tackle, like you don't have time, like, okay, you, you let your quarterback get sacked. We'll talk about this in the locker room, but you yeah. got to line back up and you got to do it again. You got to face that guy yeah. again in the exact same thing. And you're more tired than you were the last. Ab- ab- the and you're <laughs> embarrassed and you're mad. And, and he's gotta, not saying you're going to get this one. Right. That guy across yeah, he's from not, he's like, not oh, like, you got this that. one, buddy. Yeah, exactly. He's going to go harder. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was a lesson. Like He's I, more confident. You're less confident. I still yeah. remember the kid 
that bulldozed me into the quarterback. And I still think about it. When I fuck something up and I get mad at myself, I think about that guy. And I huh. think, like, should I have just walked off the field? Absolutely not. So whatever it is that I just fucked up, it's like you got to just pat it off and you yeah. got to get back out and do it. And if you want to think about it and think about how you could have done better, do it later. But right now you it's, it's yeah. time you got to go. And when I realized that it had affected me, or that it had affected me that much was later on, kind of in my early 20s when I started doing more emceeing gigs. Mm -hmm. uh, again, another connection that you and I have. Absolutely. My first paid emceeing gigs were uh, for um, flare tending shows back in the day. And there were so many times where something when would Rick get Flair messed up. When Ric Flair guest bartended at yeah. local bars? Yeah, well, no, it was bartenders would line up and try to figure <laughs> out how, if they could, woo, better. <laughs> Just I, Rick Flair. Yeah, who could do better with a boa? There's a lot mm -hmm. of boa flair. Okay. I went to high school with his daughter. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, which uh, daughter? Rick Flair's daughter. Which one? Ashley? Uh, she was a year older than me. Couldn't have been at. She have graduated been in 92. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm trying to think of who that was. It's not I, Ashley. is Charlotte Flair. She's on television yeah. now. She's yeah. a big deal. But. I don't know. Yeah. That's. Robin Armstrong. Oh, crazy. I mean, a lot of wrestlers from that area. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, it was when something would get messed up or somebody would hand me the wrong card to read or I'd mess somebody's name up. The only person that knows at that moment that I fucked up is me. Yep. And if I can figure out how to ad lib around that, we're good to go. And that literally, I'd feel my face get hot. And then I literally would picture that kid's helmet. And I'm like, okay, we're going to, we got to go. We got to figure it out. And realizing down the road, how few people ever knew that anything ever got messed up. Right. That was, that was it. You figure out how to vamp, how to ad lib, how yeah. to do that. Which leads me to my other, yeah. my other thing was... Joining football freshman year was what taught me how to talk shit, how to play the dozens, how to like, like make fun of people, but make them laugh because yeah. there's a huge, huge difference. There's a wide chasm between saying something mean about somebody and like making fun of somebody, but having everybody laugh together. Yep. And I think yep. that that is a nuance that absolutely is missing in our society right now. And it's a weird line to walk, and I've, I've stepped in shit so many times trying to walk that line. But if you can figure out how to even get the person who's the butt of the joke laughing with you mm -hmm. as you're going around, that's how you build friends. And that was moving to a new school and not knowing anybody. An invaluable skill. That was, I wasn't going to win it. I was physically gifted with my size, but not athletically gifted at all. So I'm not going to win it by being really good. Right. So... I have to figure out another way to make these people like me because football starts before high school yeah, or before school starts. So you have to, you have to meet all these people weeks before you have time to get to know them in class or anything like that. And so if I'm not going to be, Oh, you're really good. We should hang out with you. It's like, well, then I'll be the one that makes you all laugh. Mm. And that was an absolute drug. That was my first drug was that adrenaline rush of when you get 20 strangers to all laugh, and a couple of them to be like, hey, you should eat lunch with us when, when school starts. And then from there, you build your, your social acumen. And that was, that was it for me. It was, it was humor was going to be my way in for everything. And if you put the two together, if you can be mildly funny and you can vamp when you screw something up when you're talking, mm. like you can pretty much get away with just about anything. And, and you had kind of a reverse MC move there yes. because when you were doing the flair stuff, we had a lot of people from out of country with crazy names. Oh, it was wild. And that's how you started. That was, and then all of a sudden, 10 years later, you're doing was, all Minneapolis people but, and it's like Mike Smith. Yeah, but they're also Jeff the, Rogers. The weird part about, about those, <laughs> those old, like, 
the, the world competitions were, were that they're also like, there wasn't a precedent to watch. It was literally just trying to figure out how to entertain people in the middle of stuff or get people to cheer when they don't understand how difficult a move was. Right. Because some of those flare moves, and I know this is crazy, but if we haven't really talked about flair yet, yeah. but that's where. But some of those moves, they're not the flashiest thing to watch, but they're the most difficult yep. to, to land. Yep. And so trying to trying to get to people, and you just have that much time with people who are drinking, and that was my that was my comedy open mic. That was you get used to a crowd, you figure out what jokes work, you figure yep. out what jokes don't, you figure out what references work for just you, and what references actually other people understand. And then all of a sudden, things become catchphrases, and then it just starts growing like that. And all of that still goes back to that, those first two weeks in a locker room for me. Mm. And then, because then when I went into school, I felt a little bit freer to kind of like, under my breath, talk some shit in class, and like get other kids around to laugh. And all of a sudden, now I'm not lonely in a new neighborhood. I have a bunch of people that are like, this dude's fucking, he's hilarious. Yeah. And then I get invited to stuff, and all of a sudden, now you have a group. And it's like... You can trace it right back. That's the seed that gets planted. Because that wasn't a thing previous to that. You do. You have that je ne sais quoi, if you will, of that perfect balance between like making fun of yourself well, and making fun of others so that they know how much you make fun of yourself. So it's yeah. appreciated on their own side. So there's and, a roast artistry to that. And you also beat them to the punch so that you get to make the joke about yourself before somebody else does. Because then the person who's just going to be mean can't make the joke because you already made a better one. How fun was our roast night in the bottom of 508? <laughs> I don't know how many years ago that was, but... I don't even want to God, think about that. that. Has to be. We had a, a, a co-worker who allowed us to have a roast for his uh, 30th. Wait, was that John's or was that mine? I don't remember right. which well, one it was. It was one of the yeah. two. I also then took his idea for my 30th and then did that for me. Because like, what better way to celebrate getting older than by having all of your best friends say the worst things about you? <laughs> yeah. It was great. <laughs> love it. That's why I loved Festivus when that became a thing. I had a, my buddy Sarge and myself would have a Festivus party every year, and there'd have to be a mic because I just had to rip on everybody on a mic. <laughs> yeah. The best. That's awesome. Especially when you've had a lot to drink, and you just go down the line of everybody, and then you hear the feedback, and you just walk away. You got to air some grievances, man. <laughs> you got to air your grievances. It's got to it's gotta be a thing. Guam, I do also want to say that uh, it's great that you learned to ad-lib since this is a tightly... Scripted <laughs> podcast. Every word of this podcast is scripted. Mom forgets his script a lot. Oh he's man, gotta, it's he's tough. Got to ad lib. <laughs> it's so tough. Hey, we we <laughs> can say it. Uh, shout out to our good friend and uh, and frequent podcast uh, co host guest with us. Uh, it's always a pleasure to see you, Mister Beck. Love you very much, Nathan Beck. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, should we should we cheers him with a yeah? A little... We may as well. I think we just finished out our topic. So yeah, we can. Hey, cheers. I do want to also remark that you learned to skate before you learned to walk, and Steve Eiserman could skate after he could no longer walk. Yeah. That's interesting. The circle yeah. of life. It's true. <laughs> In it to win it like Eiserman. Yeah, I, was just, I just remember being in like the equivalent of like a walker. Yeah. You know, that my, my dad had, and then your skates were on, and then I was just running around the ice, you know, and then like, I don't know what it was, like uh, six months later, I started walking because of that. I think I was strengthening my legs at that point. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I fell in love with hockey at that point. I used point. to remark that a lot to friends about Stevie Y, how his legs were so bad that the dude could barely walk. But if he got on the ice, he was alive. That's he was. Cool was that, right? so he was. Wild. I mean, it's not cool that his fucking legs wouldn't work, but the fact that he could get on the ice and be the same 
skater that he always was because he was gliding. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting That's to think just about? Fascinating. The guy's legs were so bad he could barely walk, but he could skate around like a champ. Yeah, it's it's weird too, and it's completely different muscles. Mm-hmm. It just is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's like it's a crazy. It's thing. like basketball muscles. If you don't play basketball for a very long time, mm-hmm. meaning at our ages for years, and you play basketball. No matter how often you work out, if you're a runner, no matter what it is that you do athletically, when you play basketball and you work those basketball muscles, those those like hidden muscles in your body, you're so sore the next day, and you're like, mm-hmm. "What even is sore? What are these <laughs> I things?" Knew that was a thing. They're your basketball muscles, baby. At all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Topic number three, uh, Jeff. What is your current favorite non-traditional spirit switch up for a classic cocktail? Can you repeat that? What is your current favorite non-traditional spirit swap for a mm. classic cocktail? Okay. Um, I recently, I have a secret love. Well, I guess it's really not that secret to the people that I work with, but in general to the populace out there, I love Ramos Gin Fizzes. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the most amazing cocktails out there. Fantastic. I will never order those at bars because I never want to do that stuff to my friends <laughs> yeah. unless they actually are set up for it or whatever it may be. It's a special. Uh, you're like, hey, I need four. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I've been swapping Akvit out for cool. gin in a Ramos, and uh, it's been phenomenal. Uh, Akvit, like, there's so many different kinds. Like, the dill is very popular. It's the one that the majority of cocktails are made with around here. Uh, but I really have a, a huge part of my body that loves the caraway aspect and that and I mentioned yeah. my grandfather earlier with golf and we used to go Sunday dinner at my grandfather's house and they lived on pretty much 94 and West Broadway North Minneapolis uh, their house isn't there anymore because of imminent domain and they were moved out uh, and there's a furniture store there now mm. but they were literally right there so we went there every Sunday for dinner and at the dinner table, we'd have some cousins, some aunts, some uncles. You never knew how many people were going to be there. But it was generally between 5 and 10. Okay. Uh, and this was before my sister was born. And there was always a loaf of, like, Wonder Bread or White Bread. And my grandma made spaghetti a lot or pasta kind of style dinners. But my grandfather always had caraway rye bread, and it sat next to him. And we called it grandpa bread. We didn't know it was called yeah. caraway rye. We just called it grandpa bread. Did they make it or did they procure and it? From they somewhere? bought it. They bought it from somewhere. I'm not right. really it's sure probably, where they got it, it from. Probably Kramarchek's. It might have been. Yeah. It might have been. Not far um, from there. So, but what was funny was when you looked at the table, you'd see everybody except my grandfather, like staring at my grandfather, waiting for him to be done. Because when he had his fill of grandpa bread, he would just throw the loaf in the middle of the table. Yeah. And then it would just be like hungry, hungry. It'd be just like a free for all of this. And and to be honest with you, I hated it. I didn't Mm. like Grandpa bread, but there was no way in hell I wasn't going to get it instead of my cousin. Yeah, you know, (laughs) or whatever. Like I'm getting that. Dude, that's that's real family dynamics, right there. Hundred percent. That's a real thing. Hundred percent. So we, from my grandfather's side, we fought for the Grandpa bread. Uh, on my grandmother's side, we fought uh, for banana bread, and then the argument was uh, the walnuts or no walnuts. The family was split. Um, but because of that connection, I just love, love caraway Akavit. Mm. And so I've just been playing with that. Um, I did a, uh, an Akavit old-fashioned. Uh, a lot of those clear spirits that you wouldn't think of for an old-fashioned, they're delicious. They're fantastic. They're really, really good. So I would say right now I'm in kind of a bit of an Akavit phase. Uh, but secretly, heart of hearts, Calvados is always my go-to spirit to swap out of anything first it is my favorite spirit in the world i mean i feel like i wanted to to say akavit but 
I was like, I have to say something different because I always say Akavit. It could be Akavit in something else. No, it's... Because that was pretty illuminating, a Ramos with Akavit, especially, yeah. you know, if you did like a, a dill Akavit in a... Yes. In a Ramos. That's what I love about it. There's the savory aspects mm -hmm. of that Akavit sure. that really draw down the citrus and the sweet part of the Ramos that usually stands out where gin yeah. kind of heightens it with all the citrus that's in there mm -hmm. and all of those. Well, I but I'll, I'll pivot because I will say something else... Um, you know, we've, we've, we've talked a lot about Malort on this podcast and about how we like it. And now that it's available here, I don't treat it quite as, as like my precious when I, when I have some. The fat tire effect? Yeah. Like I literally, yeah, yeah I used to, <laughs> it was only for straight pours. That was it. Yep. Because I wanted to enjoy it on its own. And as basically like, as it became available here recently in, in Minnesota, I've started bringing it around because I... I've never been a sweet tooth person, especially with cocktails. And as I've gotten older, that's even gotten stronger. So I've been trying to figure out ways in the same way that we use Amaro to, to dry out mm -hmm. um, kind of sweeter, darker cocktails. I've started using like a Malort rinse in the same way that you would with like a chartreuse oh, really? to add mm. uh, herbacity to something. Yeah. So in a, a daiquiri, just a little Malort rinse, and then you drink that for yourself because why wouldn't you treat yourself? Treat yourself. Um, yeah, but it adds this level of, um, it adds a level of, of bitterness. But then again, going back to what we love about it on the rocks, there's also a florality to Malort. And it's that sneaks in with the rest of the stuff. So you get that that dryness and that sort of hint of astringency. Mm -hmm. But it works in a very, very small way. If you put too much in, it'll dominate everything. Yeah, right. But Just like chartreuse, like you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you use that, margaritas, same thing. Uh, if I'm using a Blanco tequila, or honestly, I've, I, I made one with Mezcal a few nights ago. Same thing. It's spectacular. Because all you're, you're basically using it almost like a cocktail bitters. Mm -hmm. And that mix of flavors would kill the cocktail if you did an equal portion in there. Right. But if you do it in just enough that it, there's that much residual on the glass that it just sort of all mixes in, mm -hmm. you'll get these notes of it. But I love it. It's, I know I people. It's, I think it's underrated uh, yep. um, from a flavor standpoint because it's automatically assumed. It has the greatest marketing campaign in the world, right, which is no marketing campaign. They yep. just let people say it. Uh -huh. um, at Tales of the Cocktail this year, they threw Malardi, Malardi Gras. Of course their they did. party. Uh, and I go there. It's myself, Katie Demick, um, and uh, Andrew Foudry, uh, and Jonathan Schultze, if you know Jonathan Schultze. That's a Schultz. great group. Uh, so we're going there. Uh, I turn around the corner. It's kind of an open front bar. A uh, bunch of people, obviously, kind of already there. And then as I turn the corner, and I never know what they're called, but uh, where you have the backdrop, you do the walk up like on the right. Step carpet. and repeat. Step and repeat. So they had one of those, and they had the little cartoon bubble mm -hmm. things. There was probably a stack of 40 of them on the ground. Uh, and they all had different sayings on them. And right when I turn the corner, the guy just throws it up, the one that he was holding, and it just said, these pants aren't going to shit themselves. It is. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I met their marketing person, and I asked her, I was like, how do you embrace this? And she goes, we don't. Mm -hmm. We just let people say what they want right. to say, and we just hug it and just let it go. And it works. I was like, that's phenomenal. That's, again, it's beautiful. It's, uh, yeah, on, the, on our episode of the podcast with Malort, we spoke specifically about that kind of caution to the wind who gives a shit mentality Yep. because if people drink it ironically at least they're drinking it yeah but then there are, there are people who love it mm -hmm. there are 
looking at a couple of them right now. We love that stuff. But I even, we yeah. love how they, they have the shit heel marketing. It's so mm-hmm. I agree. fantastic. I even, I've, I've, to tell you how much I've committed to doing this, I even went out and bought a bottle of Leatherby Besk because I wanted to see if it's specifically Malort or if it's that sure. like Scandinavian bitters yep. category. And it's different, but it also still works. Like I got to switch up my ratios a little bit, yeah. But it still works. I just love Leatherby makes great stuff. Yeah, they they're fantastic. Um, but for me, it's finding ways to dry out cocktails that are are rich. Like a margarita isn't necessarily sweet, but there's a shit ton of sugar in it. Yeah. And so finding a way where you don't get that cat tongue effect after you've had a, a couple, <laughs> and I don't know what it is, but it, it's kind of helped that I don't feel palate fatigue. Okay. That you normally do from like a lot of citrus and sugar drinks. And it's been really fun to kind of go down that road. Now, I know that when I bust that out in front of people, I'm immediately carving off half the people that are there. Yeah. But the other half that are going to try it, again, it's just worth the experiment of like, do I like this? And then asking like, why do I or why don't I? And when you question your palate like that, you'll learn a little bit more about what it is. Do that you, you think that there's any drink? semantics we could come up with? Like for a long time, we, I mean, I, I can't speak for other people, but I sold gin as the greatest botanically infused vodka Thank you'll you. ever have. We got and f- these people were like, I want to try that. I love vodka. And then they drink them and they're like, dude, that drink was amazing. Yeah. And I said, remember when you told me you hated gin? Yeah. That's what you just had. Yeah. Like, what? What you hated was rail. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, is there semantics that we could say I'm about sure. Malort to where that other 50% you're talking about like, wouldn't even think twice about batting we their eyelashes? We, we talk about diluting on a cube and how it brings out floral, floral mm-hmm. characteristics and it subdues the bitterness. Mm-hmm. And the less bitter you want and the more floral you want to come out, then right. just let it dilute more or... Add a dash of water to to the glass before consuming it, and a lot of people are surprised by how much they like it. And it occurred to me, and we we brought this up before. It occurred to me at one point when I was drinking it because I was I had this like connotation in my brain and I couldn't place it. But when I was diluting Malort on a cube, as I am wont to do, there was a day I was doing it while I was starting a bonfire for some people who were coming over to the house, and I was like. Oh, you know what this is? It's got characteristics. It has characteristics of aquavit. So it's like a bitter aquavit because mm-hmm. it's yeah. got all the floral characteristics and then a little bit of bitterness, which I really like hunger for. I yep. look for savory and everything. And I was like, wow, that's a great way to use marketing spin to tell somebody, mm-hmm. yeah, throw a cube in there and try it and see what you think about it because it won't be just that like acerbic bitterness. You'll have all these other characteristics to come out in the bouquet, much as it does in like a high proof bourbon where you can mm-hmm. taste things that you couldn't previously taste because your mouth's not capable of doing it. Right. It's, it's all in the same family in Scandinavia. Like, you know, like Malort means bitter. Mm-hmm. So it's all in that same family. And where Akavit breaks towards gin, Malort breaks towards a medicinal Amaro. Mm-hmm. But they all sort of start in a very similar way. Mm. And I, I adore that. And so it's, I basically, I'm just using it with clear spirits the same way that I use an Amaro with dark spirits when I want something that's not quite so, sure. so sweet. I kind of like looking, thinking about the aspect too of like something like Malort, that, that recipe has been around for a while, mm-hmm. right? It like, and to think like we're sitting here talking about somebody saying that they won't drink it or that it's, that it's not their cup of tea or whatever it may be. Or they don't want to drink it ironically. There was people 150 years ago that thought the exact same thing, mm-hmm. but they were like, if I don't drink this, there I might not see tomorrow. Exactly. And that connection to me is fascinating because here we are drinking it. We're, we're drinking it for well, luxury maybe for, for lack of a better term. 
and we're doing it because we're like, we choose to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas these I things say, were originally made so you could live. Absolutely. That's why I say, if I don't drink this, I'm not going to see tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes if I do drink it, I might not if see you get tonight. A, if you do get a chance, um, there's a great book called Doctors and Distillers that just came out, oh. uh, written by a gentleman named Camper English out of uh, San Francisco, California. And it is the direct connection between like PhDs and the production of alcohol. I don't care for and his school of thought. The amount of herbs and spices and botanicals that they're using in it for medicinal cool. purposes. It's a phenomenal book. That's amazing. Really, really well Excellent. done. Excellent. Uh, Charles, what about you? It, it's obviously not surprising to hear this, but I'm a total agave slut. I have been for some time. It's all derived from mezcal specifically, even though. You know, your mm-hmm. holes and, and everything else has gotten into the mix as well. But I got into the habit of asking bartenders after, you know, going through the catalog and I'm on my sixth or seventh drink, like, hey, could you make me a mezcal so-and-so? And at home I make, you know, it's, hey, it was just Negroni week. So I make mezcal Negronis a lot. My house marg that I make is a pineapple mezcal marg. The um, one of the drinks that really popped my eyes when I requested it at a birthday party at uh, Centro here in Minneapolis. This is a while. This is maybe five years ago. That uh, it just the the audible felt right, and it really felt right when I had it in my hand. Was a mezcal last word. Mm. What about that? Wouldn't work with like a really nice round, smoky mezcal because you have your citrus characteristics. You have yeah. the bitterness of the chartreuse and uh, a little bit of sweetness. And it's all of those characteristics, the way that they dance together, it just works so beautifully for anyone who has predilections similar to my own, where you're looking for more savory components in otherwise um, non-savory beverages. It works so well. And, and I love them. I should, I should make them at home more. This is almost like a note to self as well. <laughs> Because I, I will order one. Um, I, I never want to trip someone up to, to be like, excuse me, you want a what now? Yeah. But that's something where, you know, it's not terribly complex to ask somebody to produce that for you. But it's, it works so well, and, and I absolutely adore it. That sounds can, delicious. Can I also just say that uh, I have not had this RTD uh, old-fashioned, and that is spectacular. Awesome. I just caught myself thinking, what did he put in this old-fashioned? And then remembering that I poured it out of a can. Like, I, I, I am not saying that to float your boat. You know yeah. that, as yep. we just talked about, I love talking shit. Yep. Uh, yeah, that these, is, are real, these are real RTDs. That yep. is maddeningly good. Yeah. Lee yeah. did a great job. He wow. was so diligent about, and he really, really cares about what do I need to do to get it to where I want it to be mm-hmm. instead of accepting where it got to. And just saying, well, I got to do something right now. He he won't compromise in that sense, and I'm just yeah, I'm so appreciative of that because I think the balanced. results are in the can. Mm-hmm. I'm that's that's staggeringly good. Currently drinking the White Russian, which has shy in it, and it's the, those notes of shy in there. Just the levels of complexity, the myriad levels of complexity are so good. The '90s band uh, known for "If I Ever Fall in Love" acapella in the cocktail, shy. <laughs> So that was, that's for like two of you and Jeff. Silence. <laughs> Is it too shy? Shy? Oh, that's, that's, that's Kachagugu? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yes. Well, cheers. Cheers. Cheers to that. Mm. God, that I'm, I'm honestly just mad at myself that I haven't been drinking these more. Yeah. Like, that's a lot easier than bringing all of my shit to someone else's house or up to the cabin. Just grab some. Oh, yeah. It's true. And then no, it's an easy a lot of people don't know because Lee's pretty, uh, just Lee, he's kind of incognito in a weird sense, and he's not purposely being incognito by any means, but he's not out there to, like, get the clout, per se. That's not why he's doing these things. These are in 26 states, 24 states. So wild. And they're overseas as well. Like, Beautiful. he's doing a lot of things that a lot of people around here don't even know that he's doing. I mean, to distribute in 24 to 26 states is pretty impressive. Really Plus, elegant say. packaging, too. The, some of these come in the almost Red Bull can, and some come in... Uh, what I lovingly refer to as the little buddies and yep. they got the gold tops and they all have peelbacks. Mm-hmm. I love the peelbacks and, and they're, they're hard to source by the way. So he was obviously very diligent about yep. procuring this. Much like he was with his bitters bottles. Yeah. Yep. Getting the packaging that he wanted, which for me is something that I'm like really, really steadfast about. That's something that is something I express to all my clients like, do the, do the work and get the package that you want because you drink with your eyes first. You sure do. Lesson for everybody in life. Yeah, it's a real thing. And he's just got an eye for it. His eye for design is is really, really good. Well. Well. We've all seen a lot of this country and this world through all of the traveling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that you and I have dissimilar palates when it comes to food. But with all the traveling that you've done, you've been in some incredible like food cities and some mm-hmm. amazing adventures. If you could go back and experience a bite or a meal again, unchanged, but you could just go back and have it again, yep. where would that be and what would you be consuming? Uh, it, it's not even a question for me. It's not even debatable, um, oddly. Uh, so I took a trip to Cognac, France, and I was going to check out Crevassier. Um, oddly, another kind of side story here, I'm in the history part or the small museum part of Crevassier. What? In which they have these kind of dedication to Napoleon because they used to walk Crevassier specifically to Napoleon's tent mm-hmm. on the battlefield. So they showed his elaborate kind of uh, uh, dress wardrobe that he carried around that they did things with this. And then all of a sudden I hear a noise and I look to my left and 300 feet down the hallway is Kieran Foliard. <laughs> and I'm not even going to attempt to do his, his accent whatsoever. Previous uh, guest of the podcast. I will leave it to him. Go back and listen. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it because his lilt yeah. is my favorite. I don't it's know amazing. He's got just such a great accent and how he does things. So all I hear is my name and then him running at me. He was my eighth grade soccer coach. What? Yeah. How he was did my, I not know that? He was my eighth grade what? soccer coach and ran me silly all over the place. And then it turns out I become really good friends with him, and he's just yeah. killing it in our game uh, in the grand scheme. But I never thought in a million years I'd see him in France yeah. out, of, out of nowhere. But anyway, nonetheless. So part of that trip, though, was that we were going to the smaller producers in which that Crevassier, Remy, and uh, Martel were buying from to yep. make their blends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went to this place, and... The, the two owners were there, husband and wife. Uh, the wife uh, was probably 80 to mid-80s. Uh, her fingers were locked in kind of a cat claw because of the arthritis. Ooh. She was probably five foot two. 
and she was throwing ladders all over the place, up and down, crawling on top of fermentation tanks, just nothing. And then about two hours into it, her husband walks in the door, and he says something, and she goes, the only words I ever heard her in English, she goes, I'm the boss. And he just turned around and shut the door, and then we didn't see him until dinner. And the dinner, which is the one that I'm going to try to reference here to what you were asking, was in her kitchen, uh, which was about 12 feet away from the distillery. And every single thing she prepared for us was made within 700 feet of her home. Wow. And we had the ultimate language barrier because she didn't speak any English except for I'm the boss. And my French is broken and, you know, possibly can fly by, but it was a little bit grainy. But we sat there for almost four hours and had a dinner with her. But the particular part that I was thinking of was she made this fig jam Mm. and fresh sourdough that she literally pulled out of the oven right in front of us and then had this cheese, and I don't even know the name or remember the name of the cheese. And she just said, take a hunk of that and put it on that. And that bite right there, in that moment where I knew I couldn't speak to someone to tell them truthfully how I felt, but the energy in the room, all of us knew exactly how we felt. Yes. And there was a joyousness because of that one bite. Oh. It blew my mind. And I'll never forget that. That's exactly why I wanted to ask this question. Like that's, There are those moments where something just washes over you and it doesn't matter. Like nothing else, everything else fades away. Mm-hmm. And it's just that moment. And I still have two bottles of her cognac that I have not touched because oh. I told myself that I'm going to give them 50 years. Amazing. 50 years, then I'll crack them. Amazing. I love that. Oh, I love that. That's incredible. Charles? So many directions we can go with a question like this. And as we like to say on this program, you can answer a question in uh, any given way on on any given day. I think the thing that occurs to me right now is when my wife and I went on our honeymoon to Spain, we started in Barcelona and... Nothing against Barcelona. It's a fine city. We had a fine time there. We were there for a few nights. But we moved on from there to San Sebastian on the north coast. It's a very old world city. Really tight roads, cobblestone streets, shops close together. They were having the San Sebastian Festival, so all the families of neighboring communities were there. Streets were buzzing. We had to walk through with our luggage to get to the hotel that Marnie procured for us, which was like right in the middle of the souk, like right in all the streets. And the first meal we had when we embarked, and it was mid-afternoon, was at uh, Ganbara. Ganbara is a famous Pinchos restaurant. It's one of the better known ones, even though they all do unbelievable things there. It was my first experience with that northern Spain um, excess of the pinchos and the bar everywhere, people reaching for them, shouting out orders. I was pinned up against a wall in the corner at this little section of bar counter space that Marnie and I were able to find without seating so that we could maybe set a plate down while we held four other plates. And Marnie said, what do you want? And firstly, I knew I wanted the wild Spanish mushrooms that Bourdain Mm -hmm. feasted upon there and bragged about um, to no end. I knew I wanted that, and I couldn't see it, but they make it for you. 
And I saw someone a few steps away holding the biggest fucking prawn I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was a carbonero prawn, the giant red, yeah. like deep, it's blood red, blood oh, red, wow. no exaggeration. I said, I want that and I want that. I want, the, I want the mushrooms and I want that, whatever the fuck that thing is. And I didn't know it was called a carbonero prawn at the time. So she goes up and orders in Spanish, bless her heart, comes back with those two plates and a few other things that she just pointed at the, on the counter and there's a beautiful egg yolk, raw egg yolk on top of the mushrooms that you break into those hot sizzling mushrooms that just got cooked on the wood fire grill. Mix it all together, some crusty bread, that giant prawn that I was like a child. I was like the kid in Spirit Away. It was Studio Ghibli <laughs> to the max, right? It was just excess. And you there was some. Hear your giant eyes blinking? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I know that <laughs> Marnie derives a great deal of joy from seeing my elation at those types of things. And so she was just snapping away photos. There's some great photos. She got me holding up this prawn, which is the size of my hand all the way across. Yeah. I have decent sized hands. It's a, it is a big fucking prawn. And the way they have to cook these things, they're firing them to order with dozens of people flagging them down. It's very, very gently cooked. It's almost raw in the very center sure. because of the way it's prepared all the brains are intact which i gleefully sucked out took a big chomp out of the prawn handed it to marnie with my sticky fingers grabbed the fork without wiping it took a big scoop of all those mushrooms trying to get every different color mushroom on the fork with a lot of yolk on it scooped that into my mouth reared my head back took a sip of chocolate and i was just like whoa dude where am i like just that experience and that's something, you know, unlike Jeff, I could replicate that experience, but it wouldn't be the same dynamics. Right. It would be recreating something that yeah. already happened, being in that place another time, which I absolutely will be there again, and I will experience those things again. That's the first thing I'll do the next time we go to San Sebastian is we're going to Gambara, we're getting a carbonara shrimp, we're getting the wild mushrooms with the egg yolk and a glass of ice-cold chocolate. But having all those experiences for the first time, only ever having seen them on video or in photos, when you see that on film, it doesn't even seem real. That's definitely food pornography in a, mm -hmm. in a way that the, the Michelin star restaurants that I seek out, it, it's not, it doesn't feel as otherworldly as it does when you're engrossed in this naturalistic, organic, holistic environment. Sure. You're homogenizing with all these different people. And there's hot food everywhere, glasses clinking, napkins being crumpled up and thrown on the floor, people laughing and smiling and, and cajoling about. There's something about experiencing that for the first time that it's the, the environment is something that you cannot manufacture. You can't build that. That has to build itself. Yep. And having that experience for the first time unabated by recreation if i could do that again i would do it in a heartbeat but that's it it's amazing you also made my mouth water just talking yeah about that. i made my mouth water i had to tilt my hand back i don't know if i've ever had a hand size problem As I, was talking, I had to tilt my hand oh. <laughs> uh mine is mine is similar to that uh but sadly uh mine can't be recreated and i think that's why it's where my heart went like if if this had been a drink by the way i just have to say this on record with you here 
if it had been a drink that I would go back and have, it would be when my wife and I were in Iceland. We met up with a friend from a brewery there, and we ended up kind of going out all night. We met up with some other friends who were on their honeymoon. Things got a little bit wild, and he was like, uh, there's going to be a, a new cocktail lounge opening. Would you like to uh, come? We're like, yeah, let's go. So we walk into this like accidentally Wes Anderson hotel <laughs> and then they lead us through the, and the whole time there's no one, there's literally no people. And I'm like, is this where we die? Is this what? This is it, huh? <laughs> this is how they just, oh, you live here now. Okay. Lights flickering. Yep. <laughs> Three people have to peel a door back. So we go through this like beautiful, <laughs> funky mid seventies mod hotel. And then you go around the corner and there's this like gold letters embossed sign that says a motoka. And we open it up, and there's this beautiful retro bar. Like, it's almost to the point where, like, that's the architecture that's coming back and what's cool yep. right now. Yep. Very, very dark, all that. We walk in, and we go up to the bar, and this is a pop-up, one-night-only uh, advertisement for this bar that's going to be opening there. And I walk in, and the only fucking bitters that they have in that entire bar was the entire library of dash fire. Oh, that's awesome. And I freaked out. Yeah. And of course the bartender was super excited because I actually knew the product. <laughs> and so we got to chat about that and it was a blast. That's amazing. And while I asked for her to make me this amazing Brennavin Icelandic gin cocktail, the woman next to me, of course, is an American and she's just yelling, I want a fucking Cosmo. I'm like, oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> of for, course. Like there has to be the American to just pop my bubble that for a second I'm away. Um, but if it's, if it's food, um, we, were, we were so kindly gifted for our wedding um, uh, a gift certificate towards a meal at a restaurant in Paris. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I spent half of our honeymoon in Paris, half of our honeymoon in Morocco. And we looked up this restaurant. And we're like, oh, God, this looks incredible. And we got all dressed up and we went. And, like, I know Paris pretty well, but I know, like, the major areas yeah, pretty well. Sure. Actually finding a place that's off the beaten path a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And my wife, because she's realistic and smart, was like, I don't know if this feels right. Because <laughs> I'm literally leading her down a, a dark Parisian alley. Yeah. And our reservation was at 8 o'clock at night. So it's dark, dark. Yeah, it's dark, dark. And we're passing people that aren't saying anything offensive, but are doing the mouths shut and just wide eyes staring at us as we're going. Yeah, and you stand like, out. You know, and all I'm doing is just like marking everybody. And I'm like, okay, hopefully I'm big enough that people are just afraid. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, that would be exhausting maybe, like whatever it is. I just want to, <laughs> enough of keep back. And we keep walking and all of a sudden we see these lights and there's literally no signage, no anything. And I'm like, this has to be it. And so we come walking up. And of course, as soon as you look in the window, you're like, oh, wow. So we walk in and we sit down and there's two other couples in this restaurant. Like it's, I think it was six or eight tables total. And we sat down and they asked if we wanted a glass of champagne. And we said, yes. And they said, you know, do you want the regular or the nice? And I'm like, honeymoon style, do this. let's go, let's yeah. go nice. So the, the gift certificate that she gave us didn't even cover the champagne because, <laughs> oh, she was pricey. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I was like, what, when else are we going to be able to yeah, do this? This is the time to do that. And the fifth course was uh, a seared duck breast with um, like a milieu of mushrooms that were mm. cooked in the duck fat from the same ducks from the same farm. Mama. 
And as the server brought the dishes out, the chef followed her out and had made a glacé out of the duck fat and then literally slowly like and artfully spooned it across our dishes as he was explaining what everything was on the plate. And I had a little bit of the champagne left and the amount of like unctuous mouth coating fat that was in that bite. It was so rich and so decadent. And then I took that little sip of champagne and everything exploded and then like washed away. Mm. And I would give anything. I have spent well eight years chasing that glacé recipe. Like whatever was in that, mm. how, like, I mean, clearly it was a sauce, but he kept saying like glacé. And whatever was in that, like that was absolutely magical. And a few years later, we were fortunate enough to go back to Paris and desperately wanted to go. Yeah. And she gone. She gone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the chef, as far as I know, I, I looked him up a couple times. And as far as I know, he's still not. Last time I looked him up, he wasn't in the food game. Hmm. Uh, no idea where, where that went. But that was, it was just a, a perfect magical moment. And to have that moment with a staff that was so attentive with literally like six other people and to have all of that. And then like at the end, we got walked down to the wine cellar and, you know, he's like, oh, this was built in like 1640. And you're like, yes, of course. Of course it was. Of course like, it was. This wine cellar, older than my country. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. That's a real thing. Yeah. And it was like the whole thing was so magical. But that, that bite is something that I still very much dream about. So do you think when you were trying to recreate it, did you get the ingredients possible? Do you think it's one of those things kind of like the New York bagel? Is it Paris water that made the sauce the best? You know, I've, I've, I, weirdly enough, I've thought about that. I think that there was a fruited element to that that I can't come up with. And it honestly might be that I've even tried to pick the right dark fruits to make that sauce work. And it's just that we don't get the same fruit that they do. So similar to oh, what sure. you're saying. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we've talked about in the show before that, like, citrus in, in other regions tastes wildly different and almost always better. Like, yeah. you know, we are one of the most landlocked areas in the world where we are. It's a true thing. And so it's just a, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different fruit. It's a different being when it gets here. Yeah. yeah. And I think that even if I got all the ingredients right, it still wouldn't taste like what I want it to taste like. Oh, yeah. Because I, mean, I don't call sure. a spade a spade. A, a, a demi-glass takes so much time mm-hmm. and such attention to detail. Yeah. And so many preparations in line behind mm-hmm. one another mm-hmm. that if he, if he told you exactly how he did it, you wouldn't make it still the same. Still wouldn't make it you, the same. You, you know. And then also there's the mental aspect where you as we do as human beings, we have that mental um, block where you may have went and had it another time and it would have tasted different to you just because your palate has changed. That's something that that ingredient and calling it an ingredient is almost disingenuous. Mm. How could you, how could you do it? That was the, it was the, it was the magic that went over everything else. And I've gotten a duck breast pretty close to like mm-hmm. how that was cooked and I've been mm-hmm. proud of it. But yeah, that was just a whole, it was a whole different level. And again, I also, I didn't, I, don't, I still to this day, I had never seen that label on champagne before. And I wasn't trying to like on the honeymoon, I wasn't trying to take pictures of every mm-hmm. single thing that came out. So it was just, I was trying to be in the moment and take it in. And th- that was also a part of it. 
It was totally. when it really hit me, like that bite was so good. But when it hit me, it was when the effervescent bubbles hit and then it kind of cleared everything out. And then there was this moment of just complete awe for just a hot second. And that's, Oh man. If bubbles. I could go back, Right. Yeah. Bubbles. I mean, it's a, we've it's, talked about this a lot. It's a, it's a kiss their insects, you know, yeah. Like yeah. when that's happening, when you're like enjoying a meal and our philosophy, which is a common philosophy is if you're going to have this spectacular meal, get bubbles because mm-hmm. it yeah. goes with everything. Pick a nice, the pop into the beautiful, acid. amazing dry aged champagne and then let that co-mingle with everything that you're consuming because you're adding almost the the flavors of each dish plus mm-hmm. that great, great champagne. Now you have like a new, it, it sounds weird, but you're creating almost like a new flavor mm-hmm. with those flavors for each dish. Mm-hmm. So you're getting to experience uh, a side. It's like getting the truffle on every dish. Yes. You know? yeah. You're tasting mm-hmm. the dish with the bubbles, the dish and the dish with mm-hmm. the bubbles. And shout out uh, to, to Lizzie O'Brien for being so kind. It's crazy to me, though, as you're talking about this, let's, let's talk about this for a second, because I'm fascinated by emotional responses, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in a lot of my cocktail classes, I talk about emotional response when it comes to food. And I have two kind of things that I touch on. Number one is anytime at the very beginning of the state fair, if you go and you stand at the front gate and you see the people coming for the first time, you'll see what emotional response means, yes. right? Because the yeah. second that, that, that those, those funnel cakes and the donuts and the cheese curds hit their face, you can see it, mm-hmm. right? Now, the things you guys just talked about and the things that I was talking about, those are emotional responses to moments. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say it wasn't your honeymoon, mm-hmm. right? So you guys were just on vacation. Mm-hmm. And you guys like to splurge or whatever, but yeah. maybe you didn't go with that champagne, right? Mm-hmm. You went with maybe the lower one. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have ended up having the same emotional response? Absolutely. Because of who was sitting across from me. Awesome. And the fact that I was still kind of in awe of the fact that, like, holy fuck, she actually married me. Right. <laughs> like, and then we went on a honeymoon. Like, this is real. Like, this is actually what I've been dreaming of. And it's happening. And we picked those two because Paris was a city that we had both been to separately, but never together. Mm-hmm. And then we picked Morocco because it was a place that neither of us had been. I love that. And it was, that was sort of the first nice thing. Like, you got rid of the jet lag. You got rid of all that. Now... This is our first like actual like honeymoon thing mm. where where we're celebrating like mm. oh my god we're here we're on another continent yeah and we are married like I'm saying wife and you're saying husband and it's amazing and then all of that like I, I honestly I think I would have I, I mean I felt that way about the rest of the dishes they were all incredible mm-hmm. but there was that one moment where all of that hit and I I mean I guess I would hope that it would have hit the same sure. But I don't, I don't know. Well, to speak to your point, Jeff, if I may be so bold, mm-hmm. these are all uh, multiplying factors, mm-hmm. right? So every yes. one of the experiential elements amplified your enjoyment. So it doesn't mean that the dish wouldn't have been as great of a dish. But if, for instance, it wasn't your honeymoon, if, for instance, Jenny wasn't there, you were there with a schlub like me, you maybe would just be less likely to have answered that right now for this particular right. inquiry, but that doesn't mean that that Demi didn't just blow your fucking socks off. It's a great point. I think I, I just, I'm just very fascinated by that because if there is any restaurant tour or bar owner out there that can legitimately give an emotional response to every single guest that walks through the front of their bar, that person would be the most successful restaurant tour 
that has ever lived. That's what I'm right? looking for too. It's almost I, impossible to do that because everybody's got, like you said, there's so it, many different caveats to that. It, and it the is reason, possible, but of course there, there are multipliers and so, sometimes you do want to be alone. Yeah. When I was at Masa in New York City, I was alone. And the way that I experienced that, the solitude of the experience and my interaction, the commingling, the dance that I was having with Chef Masa, experiencing that, that way may have been the best way to experience it. Mm. So it's just, it, it's fluid, right? Yeah. I would have experienced it a different way if my wife was with me or if a friend was yeah. with me. So it's, it's all dependent on experience. And for you, uh, Kwam, you were on your honeymoon in this incredible, elegant city. You had the experience of going down. You did it at night too. You went down the dark. There's a little bit of danger inherent mm-hmm. to it. Yes. Are we in the right place? Uh-huh. Yes, we are. Maybe not even having a sense of environment when you walked in. You maybe didn't even see photos of the place or photos of the food. So there's all this like, sense of mystery mm-hmm. that was inherent to the experience. And then being presented with the food and having that wine and probably service elements, like him explaining what the dish was as you watched the globs of the demi drop over Uh the crispy skin. All of those things in combination made that a 99.9 percentile, right? Like all of those factors. That's amazing. I will also say though, that you're right in the fact that part of the reason that that was the first thing that popped into my brain is that uh, both my wife and I have been trading off on all of these trips this summer and we haven't had much time together and she gets back on Friday and then I leave on Saturday for another trip. Oh, And so it's also like when I thought of like, what's the one thing that I would want? And mm-hmm. it was a moment where no phones were on, no one was talking to us except the chef explaining food. And we just had a moment for us where I got to stare at this woman's face and be like, holy shit. She was like, yeah, I'll ride with you. Let's do this. And that like, it pulls m- more. Like we talk all the time, like Charles has said earlier, you can answer it differently every day. But today I guarantee you that's part of it. Yeah. Is that I associate wanting to be around her with then and that colors what I would choose. If I could go right now, that's where I would go. Because mm. it would also mean that she was sitting across from me. I love that. It just, it's such a fascinating concept to me because it's like you, you try to do all the right things in a bar and restaurant. You try to treat people well. You try to give good offerings. You know, And it doesn't matter if you're a VFW or if you're a high-end, high-end because it, it's about the clientele that are walking through your front door, right? Um, but the reason why I kind of brought this up a little bit was that there was a, a particular moment where we were at an after bar. Um, this was probably about 12 years ago, give or take. And it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. 25, 30 people were there. We were drinking, obviously. Uh, and a pretty known chef kind of went on a little bit of a rant, if you will, about farm the table. And he was very mad that the okay. masses don't understand the concept of farm the table. Sure. They're not paying attention to what food they're putting into their body. They really need to know the farmers. They need to do these. And I actually raised my hand. And... Two people were like, did you just raise your hand in an after bar? And I was like, well, he's ranting. I feel like I need to kind of throw in. I love doing and, that. It adds a and, sense of, and, of lightness to And the to person it. looked at me and goes, Jeff, do you have a question? And I said, more of an observation. Long time listener, uh, first time caller. Yeah. You're eating a Hot Pocket? <laughs> and his face like went ghost white. And I was like, I don't know if I can take a farm to table seriously like this rant as you're eating. Cause I don't know a single farm to table hot pocket. Yeah. I don't know a single one, but 
what I brought up to him, though, was he goes, dude, I've been eating these since college. And I go, that's my point. Is yeah. You can't go on a soapbox talking about farm the table to everybody. Of course, that's the right thing to do for the human body, getting things moving, getting people more healthy. Of course it is. But you're never going to be able to step on per people's in, uh, emotional ties to some sort of trash food or great food or an individual bite. And I'm just fascinated by that process because what causes that? It's a connection with the grandfather. It's a connection with the grandmother. It was a you know a trip to a prawn that you were you know wanting to see. Or maybe it, it was, was the first time that you got to provide food for yourself by putting this thing that you mom bought or your dad bought in the microwave and hitting a hundred percent. And now you have achieved sustenance for yourself for the first time. So with that, under that, so we talked about kind of your emotional bite. What would be your emotional like? crap food that you have a connection to that oh it's not even close it's uh craft macaroni and cheese and a can of bumblebee tuna okay uh that mixed was the or separate mixed okay that was the first thing that i prepared that wasn't put in oven take out when hot or put in microwave take out when hot sure it was the first thing where i had to add ingredients and do it and um i think it was my cousin john who was like, oh, we always put tuna in ours. I was like, gross. And he's like, try it. And then I tried it. I'm like, this is amazing. That, what we call tuna, that goes in that, has nothing to do with the tuna that I eat in any other restaurant ever. <laughs> right. That, like, that better be, like, in quotes, tuna or tuna with an asterisk, whatever it is. But that is still, I mean, my wife's been gone for five days, and the second day she was gone, I 100% ate that. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Because that's like, it's, that's, that's bachelorhood, that's college, that's I can feed myself for about $2, right. $2.50. Yeah. And there was a time in my life where that literally was all I had. Uh, when I lived in Norway, and at the very end, when I was running out of money and I still couldn't find a job that would pay me, I was trying to make it last as long as I could. Obviously, they, they don't have craft food product there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I would go and I would buy pasta and butter and powdered Parmesan cheese mm. and a can of tuna. Yeah. And I would still make that. And that was like, I could make that and make it last for a few days. And that was like, it was my only chance at making the only other place that I've considered home last a little longer but also, it was a thing that I knew that I could get for myself and not feel guilty. Mm. You know? So that's I, forever, for the rest of my life, that will be a thing. I love that. If they said, you know, if you don't stop eating that, you're going to die earlier. I'm like, well, I'll start working on my device. a good run. Yep. <laughs> what about you, Charles? I don't have emotional responses to junk foods because it wasn't really necessarily a thing that we had on hand when we were kids. But the closest thing that I think I could approximate to that would be uh, crisply crackety definitely not a fucking pizza Tatino's party pizza with a little <laughs> brunoise fucking pepperonis uh, yep. yeah getting one of those things borderline burning it watching yep. wrestling with my brothers or a friend on our pirate box clicking the back of the box to get the pay-per-view to come in and just like folding that thing in hot and half yeah. and chopping yes. upon and you it. eat it like a big taco absolutely that's the power move. single serving nope Still yep. serving. We've we've had uh, <laughs> we've had Paul Hennessy on this podcast twice, and we have never talked about that. We uh, went to the grocery store late at night one night with uh, a few female friends of ours, and we decided to play a game of Top Chef, Tatino's party pizza style, and you had 15 minutes to run through the the grocery store and chef up a cheese Tatino's mm. party pizza. All right, and then we cut them into fourths. What goes then, well with wax? 
Right. Uh, and honestly, we all came up with good ass pieces. That's and awesome. They were amazing. So you cut them into fourths, and then everybody got a piece. Right. And then we all we all voted on oh, it. Oh, and it was. I, I love that. I still smile at that memory. It was incredible. I'll be similar, but I would say it's Jack's for me. Jack's, oh, sure. Jack's was just the pizza growing up, you know, in the grand scheme. But it was the affordable tombstone. It was, and that would be like the thing that I could cook myself or whatever. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, for me, it's still Panikukins. Oh man! It just do those still exist? There is one in St. Louis Park, Holy and there's shit. one. It's off of a hundred in Excelsior. I will gladly go there with uh, you at any time. I went there every Sunday with my dad. Yeah, when I played hockey, uh, we just he got an apple bacon panikukin. Yeah. I got a bacon panikukin, and it's just I know it was garbage for me, yeah. but I just love them. I haven't had one since I was probably 12 or 13. They don't do but, the cool run out now and yell Panikukin like they used to or anything. I mean, but, I'm okay with that, I think. Yeah, now just, that I know what it feels like to work in the service industry, right. I'm okay with don't that. Don't yell, please. Yeah, just but, uh, enjoy your job. But, oh, my God, I like so many times in my childhood, that was where you'd go on like like a Sunday after church or like a Saturday morning. That was mm -hmm. where we, yeah. Love it. Ugh, amazing. Is that a, is that a Cheers. Yeah, I think we got a new sipper here. Oh, yeah. What do, what do we have? Um, so what this, this is? is our Goat and uh, Spencer, uh, again, the gentleman that's behind everything that we're doing there, um, and kind of a go at using the gin as a base, so the already done gin uh, as the platform, and then making a sage spirit out of it. So it's heavy, heavy mm. sage but it's really not no longer in the gin category because juniper is really not the upfront kind of thing. So it's very sage forward. I want to drink this all day long with soda water and sit around a fire. Mm -hmm. So Cheers. one of the things that we're kind of doing with this is kind of thinking about uh, the botanicals in general and some things that I'm not going to tell you now, but you will be the mm. first couple of people to experience it. But we're trying to go with a, a little bit of a uh, senses overload of sorts. Uh, so there will be some smell aspects to what we do. There will be some visual aspects to what we do. Uh, and sage is kind of the first one that we're really kind of going for. Uh, lovely. In the interest of, of being 100% honest and reminding everybody that uh, we're all still just students learning things, when you started that sentence and you said, it's our go at, and then you paused for a second and then you backtracked, I was trying to figure out like, what the fuck is a go at? Me too. And like, how do I not know <laughs> the spirits? I thought there was like a spirit that I'd never heard of. Yeah, like, no, no, no. I, just, I thought I, the same I, thing. Okay, I, just, yeah, I, just, yeah, I guess that's a, a phrasing of sorts of <laughs> no, throwing no, it like, no, age distillation. I got it as soon as you finished When you hear somebody's like, say, give it a go at it, you know, but I was like, like that. But I was just like, no, oh shit, I don't know what that is. And I was so excited to be like, oh my God, I'm learning a new spirit again. Yeah. This is awesome. It's actually funny that you bring that up because that's the one thing that myself and Lee and, and Rob and Tyler have found out is that Lee's conversation about spirits is like a completely different set of words because he talks and, and brings them all in based on his interaction with the TTB. Oh, sure. Right? And sure, his sure, getting sure. labels approved and, and sure. the phrasings that they use. Who are the worst, by the way. <clears throat> yeah. They and are the worst. So I under that. I deal like, with them personally every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> you we're used the to the DMV is bad. The certain <laughs> phrases that we use, whether it be base spirit or you know a modifier or a modifying spirit or or something like that. And the first day that I was with him, he was just like, "Yeah, like we'll turn that into a middle spirit." And I was like, "What? 
Yeah, you say about formula. What did, what did you just say? <laughs> and he goes, middle spirit. You know, the one that like, you use it to like add uh, to a base spirit or whatever. And I go, you mean a modifier? And he goes, whoa, okay. We need to stop for a second. We realized that we had to just take a second. Vocabulary. And just talk to each other about our vocabulary so that we knew where we were coming yeah, from. Right. And it turned out we were talking about the same thing the whole time, but neither of us understood from each other. Just get someone uh, had to admit it, yeah. It was great. It was fantastic because I will tell you that I'm just learning a crap load. Uh, That's also, what's amazing. to anybody out there listening who is starting a business or getting something going or putting a team together, have a conversation about communal terms. Yeah. Because realizing that we don't all speak the same language ahead of the game and then having a conversation about it will save you so many headaches with emails and reply alls and all that yeah. shit. Yeah. Like establishing terms early on in the game is very, very important for your own personal sanity. Yeah. People You're walking work on the production side of beer and have to figure out without asking anybody what on and off prem mean. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all of that. Mm. All of that. Like I constantly have to remind myself. Nobody knows till they know. Mm -hmm. So and just have that conversation. Very similar to the bear, uh, which I'm assuming you guys watch to which, a certain extent, yeah. right? Again, that please watch it. Walking into a production facility because I'm now with Dashfire, well, all their current employees are all production facility people. So I walk in there, and I'm behind, corner, corner, behind, and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Is there something around the corner? And I was like, no, I'm turning a corner. That's where I'm coming from, and I just want to make sure this person doesn't hit me. And they're like, we, we don't do that. Really? Know? Okay. You know, you've... Because uh, you that you've... can be common nomenclature, too. I use that in my home kitchen. I, yeah. I also do, but then uh, I have caught myself more than once saying behind to my dog, and that's when you know <laughs> that shit's too deep. In she can DNA. learn. <laughs> she can learn. She, she just looks... That's the problem, though, is when I say that, then she stops and looks back, and then I trip over her. Like, great. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Thank we you. Gotta work on this <laughs> i yell move at my dog and he knows it so that's his behind <laughs> that's awesome. move and he goes forward <laughs> it works that's great he learned it but that's what i love about you know we talked you and i talked uh, ben uh, we talked on the phone today and we were talking about the concept of experts um in general and the farther i've gotten into my career i realized that there really is no experts like every time you meet an expert uh, that person is like, well, no, I learned from these three people. And you're like, well, who are those three people? And then you go meet them and you're like, hey, this expert told me that you guys are the actual experts. And those people are like, well, there's these seven people. I'm not an expert. I'm trying. Sure. And that's sure. what I love about working with Lee and kind of being in there is that he said some of these things, which I didn't understand. And I brought him up right away and was like, I don't understand what you're saying. And right when we had that conversation and we actually talked about it, we started to talk about and realize how much we can offer each other yep. to growing yeah. and that this isn't just this person next to me that's a partner that we're going to try to get things, but this is somebody that is going to become to a certain extent a mentor of mine mm -hmm. for sure. You know, and having that mentality that, um, well, back to our, our Ted Lasso moment that be curious, mm -hmm. not judgmental. Mm -hmm. And to know that you can look at somebody and there's anything you can learn from any person that's out there. Um, you know, we've trained a lot of bartenders. Mm -hmm. And how many new things did we learn from somebody that had never bartended a lick and then walked in two minutes into their training shift and said, why aren't the glasses here? Most of my knowledge has come from that. <laughs> right? Seriously. It's a true thing. I Right after we got off the phone planning you coming here for this, uh, I was having a similar text thread with a couple of friends. And I hashtagged, like, offhandedly, meet your heroes, burn your idols. And I actually, like, the more I thought about it, it's been sitting in my head all day. That's it. 
because the people that inspire you, those should be heroes yeah. and meet them and, and learn from them. And then hopefully you'll find heroes in people that you're helping yeah. to come up. You know, it's okay to find a hero in somebody that is still trying to learn to get to where you are. That's, that's how it should work. Yep. But once you yeah. idolize something and you put them on a pedestal, that's when it gets weird. And that's when you're not learning anymore. You're sort of like worshiping at it. So mm. I'm all meet your heroes, burn your idols. Yeah. Yeah. We frequently discuss that there are progressively fewer and fewer masters because masters exist, you know, in, in various crafts, master watchmakers and, and things of the like. But often what distinguishes a master of a craft from an apprentice, an amateur, uh, someone who's been at it for a decade is that they are, they are routinely still the most curious among us. Mm-hmm. And it's that yep. whole tenet that we talk about a lot that I once heard at a talk. You learn and you learn and then you learn and you learn and you learn and then you die. So even if you are a master of your craft, there are things you don't know. And knowing that is the most powerful tool you can have in your toolkit. Hands down. I agree with that. And it also, all of that will change as we grow and as we learn, all of our focuses will change. And I feel like that kind of leads us into your next question. And so it does. Because it's life, right? I mean, life is the journey aspect of it. So Damn keep right. growing. Keep going forward. Keep learning. So, Jeff, as we age, we gain and lose interests, which is natural. So name something that you used to really love doing that you don't love quite as much anymore. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's, that's a great question. And, again, it's one that you feel free to kick around. Like yeah. Like, I, I mean, like, my knee-jerk reaction is to say flair. <laughs> I mean, oddly, uh, it that that's a weird story actually from that standpoint because I flair is why I'm here. Flair is really what put my career in the tra- trajectory towards what I was doing. But when the craft cocktail movement kind of came around, there was such a poo-poo stigma against the flair world, and I'm not happy to admit this, but I buried it. Mm-hmm. I shied it away because I felt like people weren't giving me the opportunity to grow and be as good as I can be because they just looked at me and just saw a bottle juggler. Well, two things there. Number one, flair is not bottle juggling. That's competition flair, as Ben and I have talked about quite a bit because if you look at the definition of flair, it's just the way that you do something better than a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. There's a panache to what you do, and that's how you put down a napkin. And it's amazing to me about a, a lot of these sure. quote-unquote mixologists that are doing these crazy sprint. Uh, uh, stirs and you know shakes and that's and, flair and that's flair when you're like, doing the, the any way you do it yeah back and yep. forth i was like that's fuck flair. off dude that's flair. Yeah. <laughs> it's flair it's exactly what it is the master uh, japanese cocktail maker that is etching the ice ever so specifically that's, that's flair precisely 100 percent. that's what it is it is just showing that you have control over a set of skills that can allow somebody to get a heightened uh edu- or uh entertainment value out of what we're doing um so i would say that uh now I'm at the point where I do not deny anything that was there, and I'm mad at myself for actually denying that. But I felt like it was a necessity to kind of survive in the weird cocktail world that was, um, you know, there was the chef-driven restaurant, and there was kind of those things that we heard about those types of places. And this was the first time that we really saw kind of celebrity bartenders mm-hmm. of sorts. Um, and you wanted to be part of that conversation. And you didn't want anything to knock that back. But now looking back at it, like, I'm an idiot because you are who you are. Uh, and I'm never going to shy away or be shy from who I am. Uh, but I haven't been able to do that stuff for a very long time uh, just because I haven't had the time. Uh, so it has been put down, and that's something that we've talked about a little bit at Dashfire about possibly bringing back a little bit. 
and kind of playing around with and messing around with. Um, you sold stuff with your face better than anyone I've ever seen on earth. <laughs> I, I definitely have a cartoon face when it I'm was, shaking and God, doing God, I like, I still thought like when I poked my head out tonight when he got here, I went upstairs to let him in and uh, you know, it's a locked door. So I was just, I opened the door and I was holding it with my foot and I was so excited to see him. And he came around the corner, like carrying a ton of stuff, walking in all the, all of these amazing RTDs and spirits came around the corner carrying everything. And all I wanted was like a couple of those faces. Cause it still makes me the happiest. Like it was because it was like as the MC for all that shit, it made it so much easier to sell it because you were selling it too. You know, it wasn't just looking angrily at the crowd. Like, why aren't you cheering? Yeah. Like, you would sell it that way. And it's still one of the things that I love about you because it was so evident that you loved that. I did. I did. I truly love that because very much like you said early on when you talked about doing like open mic and whatnot, like I love being a part of somebody's great night. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it has to be me that does it. I just want to be a part of that. That's it. I want to be a puzzle piece in that great night that they remember back and, uh, and show. And that's the one thing that I found very strange as we moved into the cocktail world is that I started to take myself too seriously. Because I wanted to know these things, and I wanted to make sure that I was making good drinks and we whatever. And then at that point in time, I started to realize that it wasn't about the show anymore and the party anymore and the entertainment anymore, and I was losing that. So when I took that moment and said, you know what, screw this, I am a flair guy. This is my background. This is what I did. And I, I literally the very next day, my shift working was completely changed. Mm-hmm. And I had turned back into that person that was like, you're Joe Bag of Donuts, you're Jane Bag of Donuts, welcome, you're in for a goddamn ride. Let's roll. Let's go. You know? I love it. Something love people it. have never lost the desire to have presented that to them, but I think that we forgot societally that that was an important component. There was such an obsession with efficiency mm-hmm. and just getting the beverage onto the bar top that a lot of the showmanship was abandoned. Mm-hmm. We almost had these diametrically opposing um, aesthetics where you had perhaps too much of that or absent that entirely. Yeah. So you had the bar where if you're a little bit of a, uh, a recluse and you want to go get a drink by yourself, you are overwhelmed by the spectacle before you. Yep. So you're like, I can't hang out here. This is not the place for me. Or it was um, a lot of impersonal mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm. There's a balance. You can you can interact and have flair and present the product faithfully and be efficient. Yep. Without being cold and terse and without being like this chucklehead that is making this person feel awkward in front of their first date. Well, the same things were being said, <laughs> oddly, about flair stuff that was exactly being said about the craft cocktail movement when it first kind of came around, was when we did flair stuff, all we heard was just shut up, put the bottles down, and get me a drink. And yeah, that right. really bothered me because um, not, not me personally because it, it didn't say a lot to me because I generally didn't do the bottle flipping at work unless mm-hmm. I was asked or, or was kind of a, a kind of a planned thing of sorts. But what I can say is once I got into Flair, as much as I love the stage and competing aspect of it and showing a show, I never became more efficient than when I understood how to move my body mm-hmm in ways to get things so that now all of a sudden I was in a well and I only had to move two feet. 
It was you know, no wasted movements. My bodies were standing there in front of them. And again, people would say, well, you weren't doing flare. My stuff was on time. But it was because of flare that the movements made it look like I wasn't doing anything which allowed you to be comfortable and calm at sure. the bar. Because wow. I agree with exactly what you said, Charles, which is there is something to be said where if somebody is sporadic behind the bar or angry, you can see that mm-hmm. in the guests that mm-hmm. are right there at that bar, mm-hmm. right? If, uh, if the dance isn't happening, there's two people working and they're just banging into each other the whole time and it just looks awkward and weird, you'll see guests that are kind of moving in their seats a lot and whatever. You see a beautiful dance between two people where it looks like they're never even connecting, never even touching. I'll show you eight people at a bar that are peaceful, enjoying their moment. That's phenomenal. Well, and then if, if you as a bartender notice that like one person's watching and you like give it a wink or a head nod to say like, I get that you see it, then all, now they're a part of it. Yeah. Now they're a part of that dance. Yeah. And they're, they're, they get to be sort of like, not the conductor, but like front row in the audience. Yep. And you, you suck them in, you know, like... My all-time, not to go too far down the flare thing, but my all-time favorite things that I ever saw um, was, I th- Davy Jones was the first person that I ever saw do it, but to do the, the spin of a cocktail napkin and then grab it with the back of your hand and set it down mm-hmm. as you're asking for a drink. Now he's going to get four people's drinks. He's going to nail all of them. Boom, do all that. Or um, like Paul Trisangle is still doing it in Vegas. Yep. Uh, uh, he would Probably take, yesterday. Take a napkin and he'd spin a straw in the air. And the straw would sort of like like Forrest Gump feather yeah. float down and land in the cocktail. I've watched him nail that like 99% of the time. Yep. It's just a little bit of magic. And then back to speed, speed, speed. That was the stuff that I loved because the whole time it's like a Tai Chi thing. Yeah. There's, every movement is for a reason. Yep. And, and it works. And there was little moments uh, like with Brett, uh, a.k.a. Davy Jones, that when we were at drink at the time, I would work the the well that was closest to the door he always worked the well that was farthest from the door so we were a good i don't know how long that bar was but probably 40 or 50 feet apart maybe between and there'd be moments where you would just hear brett just yell time (laughs) and whenever he yelled time it meant i had to throw a cherry so i would turn around and there'd be brett with a toothpick in his mouth and i'd throw the cherry and he would nail it cherry right on the skewer in his mouth (laughs) crowd would go ballistic but he'd be making five drinks Mm -hmm while he's got his face there. And that's where I guess the flare part was very annoying to me was that there was people that were out there that were about the show and about themselves, mm-hmm. but there were other people that were out there that just used it so, to enhance the experience of the guest sure. in front of them. I think that's why there's a balance. Yep. Yeah. In, uh, in Mexico City, the cocktail scene there is probably the finest that I've experienced anywhere. It's Mexico City's awesome. But a lot of the places that are highest regarded have no showmanship whatsoever where there are people leaning against the bar if it's not busy yet or arms on their phone but we went to one particular bar the name's escaping me at the moment and they were very relaxed and almost um standoffish except there was this one bartender who was doing the esconcier he was like pouring from a great distance and all eyes on the bar were on him. And yep. you could tell everybody wanted him to make the drink. Yep. Because it looked like he was making something that no one else could make. Yep. Sure. It's, we so, never didn't want the flambe. We never didn't yep. want to see the flames in the open kitchen. Yep. We've always wanted that. But at some point, we went, we, we societally, we don't, we need to be better about balancing yep. instead yep. of just racing to different values. You know, mm-hmm. we're like, Everything needs to be just this way only. 
but there's there need to be more mediums instead of making the, that bead rock all the way to the opposite end. Yeah, there's one percent bars I call them that will get away with certain things. Um, like from the flare standpoint, Carnival Court mm-hmm. outside of Harris, they will flip bottles, and when I say flare. That's like the true competition flair. They do it for every single drink at every single moment. But the circus is in the name. Like you're but signing it's up. In the that. name, yeah. it's a part of it. Yeah, it's on brand. There they know sure. it's on brand. The guests are knowing from the get go, so there's no questions when it comes to that. Aviary in Chicago. Sure. Right? That is a very elaborate cocktail program, very elaborate ice program. Um, you know, I've had probably in the last 10 years, five, six people in Minneapolis that are like, hey, man, I'm going to open the next aviary here in Minneapolis. And I will always give anybody the benefit of the doubt. Like, hey, sure. awesome. If you're going to do that, that's amazing. And then I would ask them, I'd go, you know, like, well, what kind of climb bell are you going to get? And they go, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, boy. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, you're saying that you're trying to be now, are you just trying to say that you're going to be that thing? Or are you actually trying to be that thing? Because uh, with those 1% bars, I think they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. But that's, again, that's the unicorn. Safe house in Milwaukee. Yep. That's not a bar for everybody. Yeah. You know, you got to have a code. You got to get in there. It's closed circuit television. They use the sure. bank vacuum tubes. But sometimes to shake the you're drinking in Chicago and you need to call a limo and drive to Milwaukee and you drive to, to, Milwaukee. Go to the safe house yep. for two drinks and then drive back. Listen, it happens. It happens. It's fine. Yeah. Maybe a brewer's <laughs> game in between there. It's like a, that's a form of escapism. If you know what you're, it's the brand that you signed up for. And yep. This is what I want. But then, you know, the other end of the equation is, does anyone really want to go to a place where people are playing on their phone and are bumped up against each other and don't seem terribly happy to be there yeah, because that's right. the way that they that's the way they do things? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I, I agree. Don't think that's Everybody thing. out there listening, think about your favorite places to go. I guarantee you, none of them are going to involve people that are disinterested in in who's in the bar. Drink with your eyes. Yeah, there you go. Drink with your eyes. Oh man, Mine is, mine is sad, and it's been, it's been kind of like more and more hitting me, but it's, it's DJing. It's something that was such a part of my life and such a part of my identity. Uh, yeah. But uh, I finally hit that point where I don't, truly, I don't understand what like young folks are listening to right now. Yeah. Like the, the advent of the sort of emo mumble rap uh, genre it's not I, I don't dislike it i'm not saying like this isn't good music i don't know how people dance to it and it doesn't make sense in my head for like creating a dance floor and i've had a really tough time i mean it was it was something that i've quote unquote retired from like three times and my love of it kept bringing me back and i've just hit this point where i realize like unless you specifically want me to play like late 90s to, well, all 90s to 2000s hip-hop, or, yeah. uh, like, a little bit of open format, or, like, vibey stuff. I, I just don't, uh, I don't know. And it sucks, because, like, there's nothing that has brought me more joy for money than watching an entire dance club lose their shit for three hours. You know, I did the math, and I've played music... Obviously, there were repeat people coming back. But if you just looked at bodies in the door each time, I played music for over a million people. Yeah, I believe it. And that's, that's an insane thing to say. Right. But at the same time, like, I just look, like, when I go out, part of it also is that everyone has access to everything now. So True. N- nobody is like, oh, I'm going to go out and hear something I've never heard before. 
everybody just wants to hear the one thing that they have found, which as a music listener, I also really like. I would rather see more people being passionate about finding music that nobody else knows and wanting more people to hear it. I think that's good for the art as a whole. But as a DJ, it makes it harder and harder every time because it's not about the craft. It's not about blending. It's not about putting things together. It's not about how you mix. Mm. It's come down to everybody wants to feel like their personal playlist got a nod. So it wasn't just you that changed. The audience has changed as well. 100%. And, and not just the audience, but like technology has changed. Oh, yeah. You know, like there are programs now uh, where you can literally put on a playlist and it will use algorithms to like, quote unquote, DJ it for you. So it'll beat match and it'll mix in some stuff and it'll give you some buttons. So right. if you have it plugged into a speaker, you can hit the fucking beep, 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 horn, which again, everybody, please stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> but as a whole, it, it's so tough. Like, you know, when, when, when Jeff was talking about that, that first wave of craft cocktail, like I'm so lucky that I existed at a time where DJs went from an afterthought for a bar or a nightclub to actual like celebrity status. A feature, yeah. In my life, I watched the pay, in my career, I shouldn't say in my life, in my career as a DJ, I watched the pay go up like quintuple because it yeah. became a thing that people thought was really cool. I don't know many people that could say that about any job. And then I got to do the same thing with craft cocktails where I got to watch Jeff and I work at a bar uh, that won an award, but we were too soon. We were too early on it and people didn't get mm. what we were doing yet, but we still got to watch it happen where all of the things that we were dreaming of ended up manifesting themselves here. And to, to be able to watch that as a DJ in music and DJing and then watch it in craft cocktails, like I'm so lucky and fortunate to have been paid for both at the same time. But it's really tough watching like, Craft cocktails, it's a permanent thing that will stick around. And between the audience and the technology, I, I just don't know how long the craft of wanting somebody to personally play things for you is going to last. Like okay. there are people that will always be awesome at it. There are still people that are, that are making an incredible living at it. But even the people that are like famous, if you type in on Spotify that say they're DJs, at this point they're producers. You know, and that's, it's hard to watch that start to fade a little bit, you know? But I also understand that that's always been how it went. You know, bands used to play proms and homecomings and all that. And then DJs showed up. And then guess what? Bands didn't die. They just had to figure out different ways to... Sure. Like, you're, if you're not going to be, like, famous and on a record label, there's still ways to make money as a band, and they figured it out. Mm -hmm. And I think that somebody personally curating the music for a night, there will still be a moment for that. It's just going to look a little bit different. And I just had to finally realize, like, that's not me anymore. Sure. But I will never, ever, ever feel bad about all of the, like, cheek-hurting smiles and, like, the amount of times that I almost threw my shoulders up, putting my hands in the air with everybody. Yeah. Like, there will never be anything that I do for the rest of my life that will take the place of yeah, how amazing 17 years of doing that was. But it's just like friends call, like I got friends that are getting remarried. I got friends that are, you know, now their kids are going to college and they want to throw a huge party. And 
I just got to tell really? him like, hey, that's not, that's not me. Your kid doesn't want to hear what I want to play. Yeah. You know, like I, if you, once you get right, your kid yeah. out of the house. You don't need me. Yeah. Once he goes off to college and you and your wife want to have the holy shit empty nesters party, I got you. <laughs> I got <laughs> you. Trust me. But, but it's, it's been a weird, this year has been the year. I really thought mm. like after COVID, it would be fun to get back into it. And when things started opening up again, like I went out with some friends and I'm like, ah, this isn't, it's not me anymore. And it's, I will, I will still support all of my friends. I will go see him. I'll do whatever, but it's just not, any, that ain't it anymore. Not your jam anymore. Yeah, yeah. it sucks. It sucks. What about you? Uh, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to restrain Quam for this one. Is it this podcast? When I was, <laughs> <laughs> there's a dark twist. There's a dark twist. Walks away. <laughs> so I'm gonna let all you know we're done. <laughs> there was a point in my life where I'd go to 300 concerts a year. I was at a concert pretty much every night. I was deeply ingrained in the local metal scene, uh, hip hop shows, reggae, you name it. I was at shows pretty much every night. I've discovered more and more as the years go by that, dude, I don't like going to concerts that much anymore. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I don't have the taste for it. I used to have, I sometimes find myself forcing me, forcing myself to do it. Yeah. I have to be more selective now because there are still bands I know I want to see live. And when I see those bands, it gives me, gives me great joy. I think a part of what happened is that I discovered I... I think that we don't connect with people quite as much in the modern world. And as a social experience, going to live music where that's your central focus and you're either screaming in each other's faces or you're not speaking, it just doesn't have the same gravitas for yeah. me that it once did. I'd rather take my wife somewhere that we can have a conversation and there are other elements at play where we can communicate with one another or a group of friends or a singular friend or my brother. I just don't love it the way that I used to love it. And for, for years, cause this has been happening for a long time for years, I had to basically talk myself out of that mentality when I had this ticket I bought four months ago and the show was that evening. I'd have to talk myself out of the mentality that, man, I don't really want to go to this concert. There are other things I'd rather be doing tonight which is, it's weird to have to have that internal battle to say like, oh, this is, this is something that you love. Mm -hmm. You love this. Why aren't you loving this? But more and more, I find myself experiencing concerts that I'm like, that was fine, but what are we doing now? Mm -hmm. And it's making me come to this conclusion that I, I need to be more selective with the concerts that I decide to go to because in many cases, I didn't want to burn that Friday night on that particular concert. Right. I'd rather have been doing something else that didn't cost me $70 with $13, co with $13 beers or, mm -hmm. or what have you with like people screaming and bumping into you. And yep. that I used to love that. I'd watch, when I was 16, I'd watch the fucking worst band in town and have the night of my life. Yeah. Ears ringing and pretty much having semi-permanent hearing damage because I was always right up front yep. 300 shows per year. But now I'm not nearly as uh, drawn to those types of experiences. It's just something that does not appeal to me nearly by a, by a margin of 
20, it doesn't appeal to me the way that it did when I was in my teens and yeah. even probably my early 20s. I honestly, like, I totally get it. Like, I, it, that's, of course, a bummer. But I totally get it. And it's one of the things that my wife has helped me, like, grow with is that she's the same way. Like, if it's really special, absolutely, she's all in. Mm. But she's like, I know how much this means to you. And I know that I don't want to see the look on your face when you look at me and you realize that I'm not having the same amount of fun as you are. Sure. And I think that that's like, I've gotten a lot more comfortable going to shows alone because it's, yeah, it is also just for me. Like that's not a moment where we can talk and you don't have to. Right. I was thinking of that dynamic as well, that you had said you were beginning to go to concerts solo more frequently. I don't know. Maybe that's something that I would like more. But on the whole, I have friends say, like, I got, you won't believe it. I got an extra $170 ticket to this concert, and I want you to come with me. And you can't say, don't want to. Yeah. yeah, Don't want to. No. So it's either, uh, I got this other thing that I might be doing tonight. Thank you. Ask somebody else. Or, yep. you know, don't hold it for me. Ask other people. But yep. I'll come with you if you need someone to come. But I find myself in that position exponentially more as the, For the sure. days, weeks, months, and years go by. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. Like, I honestly, like this week specifically, I'm going to three concerts in five days. Hmm. And that's a lot. Yeah. And then literally after the third concert, I leave for LA and I'm going to another concert. That's too much. And I honestly tried to talk myself out of one of these shows, but they're all shows that I specifically am emotionally tied to and I really want to go to. And every time... The minute I walk in, I, I hope all of the times that I've talked to my friends who are very religious, I hope this is how they feel when they walk into church. Yeah. Because the minute I set foot there and I see the crowd and I see what's going on, all of that goes away from me. Yeah. And the day that it doesn't, the day that I do, I am sitting there and I'm thinking I don't want to be here, I'm going to go home. Like, I, I have to. There's so much more important to me at home. But those shows fill up my, the battery of my soul. Oh, yeah, soul. I know. Yeah, you know, And that's it. Certainly. And so I, I don't want, I would so much rather go to a show alone than go with somebody who's like going because they think they need to be there with right. me. The thing is yeah, that that's, most people won't admit that right. and, and probably will still find themselves having an enjoyable time. I don't have a bad time when I go to a concert yeah. that I don't want to be at. Very seldom do I just not enjoy myself. Yeah. But sometimes I'm kind of just there, yeah. you know, I hate Physically to say it, there. but I got, yeah. I got Marnie feeling. tickets to the Andrew Bird, Bird and Iron and Wine, Iron and Wine, and I don't know them. And I get, I derive a lot of joy from taking my wife to shows that she loves. So that part I really love. So when I was there with her and I knew she was looking forward to it for so long, actually, we kind of booked our Mexico trip so that we could come back for it. And I didn't like that. I wasn't, I, I never said we're not doing that or like, why would we do that? Because I got her those tickets for Christmas. So I was like, yep, we're doing it. We'll be back. We'll go to the show. And we went to the show, but I was sort of just there. You know, I tried to get into it, but it wasn't my thing. So I was kind of just there and she was enjoying it and I enjoyed her enjoyment. But for me, it was just like, all right, where's the car? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, there's a part of me and we've, we've referred to this on the podcast a couple of times. There's a part of me that wants my partner to see it through my eyes. Yeah. But I can't force that. Yeah, that's like, not, you know, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't, yep. you know, like the, the, the last 
literally the last living band on my bucket list. This is weird to say. The last living band on my bucket list is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Mm. And we're going in March. Nice. And she likes Bruce Springsteen, but yeah. not in the way that I do. Sure. And I'm like, that's probably my last Hail Mary at like, you might get into this. Because he knows how to work a crowd yeah. and get them into it. And I'm hoping that that's like, that might be one that we can kind of bond on. But yeah, outside of that. Like you know, that's, admittedly, that's a part of it too, is showmanship for the most part is yep. dead in live music. Mm-hmm. And I didn't pay $100 to come to Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. yeah. So when, when a band I love puts on a show, I am there for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I know that's, the sh- that's one of those shows that I'm going to enjoy. If I go see Tool, I know I'm going to enjoy it no matter what. Right. Yep. It's you know, my favorite band, and they put on an incredible show, light and sound and everything else in between. But there are a lot of bands that I love where I see them, and I'm like, what is it about this experience that is so much more enjoyable than having my headphones on while I'm washing dishes. Yep. Totally agree. <laughs> the last show that I went to was First Avenue. Uh, went to go see the Gear Daddies reunion. Yes. With myself and a bunch of college buddies. Yeah. And I was young in the crowd at 48. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I've never seen a more respectful crowd because what you're describing, the entire crowd was those people. <laughs> so I've never seen 3,000 people that were like, well, just, just calm down. Like, you calm down, and then I'll calm down, and then you have your space, and I'll have my space. It was just respect everywhere. And the gear days were terrible. They just, I mean, <laughs> Martin Zeller himself was like, I've forgotten the words on four songs. Like, he said it. But it was, but it was enjoyable because of that, right? Yeah. Because we all knew the songs. So whenever he forgot them, he just kind of walked away. Yeah, the whole the crowd, crowd took singing. it over. Yeah. But to your point of what you're saying, like the things that I assumed were going to happen within the 15 minutes that I walked in there, the crowd themselves didn't allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole bunch of my mentality all together. So we were like, we're going to support you. <laughs> and it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and those, those moments are amazing. Like Charles, unfortunately got to watch that for me once. Uh, I had a friend back out on tickets and another friend got sick and I was like, I just want somebody to fucking come with. I've waited 20 plus years. Dude, I had to fun at that band. show. That well, that's fun. the thing though. Like, I feel like they put on a pretty good show. Like, they sold it for that venue. And I would say they're a band that's better live than they are yep. on recording, yep. which that would be a band that I would which like to see. They're called Big Wreck. Okay. They're, they're one of those, like, should have been famous and never quite made it. Okay. Uh, like, we'd never been to a show together. Yeah. So we were drinking in excess yeah. and like they they were very active played a great show i tried listening to them next the next day and i was like are these the same songs the same thing are these the same <laughs> yeah. songs think like live honestly how good they were live though think live they were like late catalog soundgarden okay only the lead singer if chris cornell also played lead like interesting really ian thornley is the reason i go a little more rhythmic not quite you know yeah quite but, as edgy but that dude literally plays lead the whole time while he's singing. And that's always like, I don't like a lot of pop country, but I love Keith Urban because he plays lead the whole time he's singing. Mm. And until the last couple albums where he just stopped playing guitar at all and they're just pop songs. Yep. But anyway, like that was like, it's fun to have some moments like that. But at this point now I'm, I'm not going to see, like we used to go through city pages all our like alternative weekly that we had here in the twin cities. And we, my friends, if there wasn't a show that we wanted to go see, we'd pick the best band name and we'd go. Yep. Right. You know, like I don't, I will never do that. 
I still, I still I really love small, yes. small venue shows. Small venue shows, small bands in a bar. I think that's probably the exception. If someone mm-hmm. says, hey, do you want to go see this really dope like Costa Rican jazz band at the Dakota? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. Like 10 times out of 10, I'm going to say yeah. yes to yep. that. Or something but at the Palmer's bigger the or- show... All the like, I'm with you on that. That's I'm like, oh, I don't want to do all this. I they're wanding me, yeah. and there's too many yeah. people, and you got to stand in line for a drink, and you yep. got to watch all the people that take two steps into the door and then they stop and look around, knowing that there's thousands of people coming in behind them, and they're just gonna hold up traffic. Yeah, all of that. It's one thing you give credit to the Armory, though. Yeah, I will say that from a live music venue, and for those kind of those mid bands that aren't doing stadiums, the setup to get a beverage. And oh, to go to the bathroom. Is tremendous. 800 bars. And to go to the bathroom. Bars. Tremendous there. They yeah. crush it. <laughs> well, now that we've just shit on all the things that we loved. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking burn, cheers. Burn your idols. Yes. Cheers. Meet, your, meet your heroes, burn your idols. So you brought us this little slip here. I did. So uh, I like it. There is... So my cabin is in... Aiken, Minnesota. And there is a town next door called Crosby. And Crosby got the new hospital. Okay. And with the new hospital came a lot of money coming in. Yep. And the town of Crosby has done an incredible job at turning their main street Crosby's into... a great city. It's incredible. They've turned it into this, like... Best fried chicken in the state. Really? Really. I have not... Where? The broasted chicken at... And I always forget the name. I want to call it Boardwalk every okay. time. But, uh, oh, God. I'll think... Trailside. Trailside. Trailside, Trailside roasted really? chicken is fucking banging. So, I, couldn't, wow. I couldn't believe how good it was. No kidding. So yeah. to those of you listening, not from the the upper Midwest, uh, Crosby is a smaller town, uh, kind of up in in lakes country, cabin country. Um, Big mountain biking scene yeah. there. Yep. A lot of they, lakes, cabins. Like everywhere you drive, it's a curve. It's like road. a more progressive. I mean, it's a mixture of old town and progressive yep. uh, cabin environment which a brown guy like myself happens to quite like absolutely mm-hmm. and there's this incredible uh shop that opened up that does like high-end they have a mind-blowing cheese counter they do high-end oh like, vittles uh, what's it called fucking uh i'm gonna come up with it before we're done with the show i, I just panicked because i started talking about it i'm like oh my yeah. god i can't remember the name no, of i know it's <laughs> a real thick of it but it's um, they have like uh, bespoke jellies and oh. like uh, cool like craft sauces. You'd be right at home in a major city. Yeah, one hundred percent in Minneapolis. Like everybody you, would be like, I if it was there. next door to Lowry Hill Meats, everybody would go. They go yeah. get their meats there and then go yeah. next door. And uh, the owner is this incredibly charismatic dude. And uh, we started chatting, and then he's like, oh, did you know that we have a liquor store back here? But because of the city ordinances, like, you have to go outside and then come yeah. in the different door. Oh, yeah. Okay. And you go in, and it's literally maybe eight feet by eight feet. It's so tiny. It is a, <laughs> it is a closet. But every single bottle is handpicked by him, and there's no filler. There's no macro. It's all, like, mm. it's wines. They do that with their cheeses. Yep. They have a really impressive, a super impressive cheese counter. Victual? Oh, yeah? It's, oh, it no. starts with a V. Is it Victual? All right. Anyway, we'll keep, we'll we'll keep figuring this out. We'll keep plugging but, away. Um, we'll look it up if we can't think of it. Yeah, but it's, it's like, more fun to try to think like, of it. Basically, from like four feet down, it's all really interesting and fun and funky wines. And then from four feet up, it's all two or three bottles of all of these incredible spirits. Mm-hmm. 
And the last time that I was up there, he had a bottle of Calumet 15. Mm. And I was like, I mean, yeah, I should probably grab that. Uh, it's all pretty decently priced. And uh, I came up again. And basically almost every bottle he also has open for sampling. Yeah, brilliant move. So came back again. And I'm going to guess it's just because I'm a giant. But I walked in. He's like, I feel like I, we've talked before, right? Like we've sampled him again. I reminded him what I bought. He's like, of course. Is it the older, wiry, uh, white gentleman? Yep. Probably yep. in his 50s. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Sure. Like, uh, reminds me a little bit of like Billy Eichner in like 10 years. Hmm. Um, but we were chatting and we were going through a bunch of stuff. And he was kind of showing me some of the new stuff that he's got that like, he's like, I don't know how many people like get what this is. And I'm like, oh, love. And I was kind of eyeing up this bottle of Mezcal. And then I turned around, because he asked me something. I turned around, and there was, like, another lower shelf. And it was, like, it literally said a 25% off. And I saw this in there. So it's barrels, rye whiskey, single barrel, barrel proof. One of the most underrated companies in the country. 100%. Barrel, barrel, barrel. So I grabbed it. It's also, yeah, it's really fun to explain that to people. So I grabbed it and I looked at him and I'm it's like, barrel with two wells. I was like, is this supposed to be there? And he goes, wait, why is that there? Hold on. Oh yeah. I, it just wasn't selling. And I just wanted to get it to move. Hmm. I was like, okay, so you went 25% off. Like I'm okay. I'm going to buy it. And because of the Calumet 15 that I had bought, I signed up for the rewards program. And he goes, you got 10 bucks for rewards program. <laughs> so this is the most affordable bottle of barrel bourbon or barrel whiskey I've ever found in my life. And at 117.6, yep. it is beautiful to me. It's, it's not hot. hot. Yeah. But it's... It's like, not offensively hot though. No, no, no. No. I mean, it, it lets you know where it's at. But that goes away immediately to me. And then it's just this gorgeous, like, mixture of, like, caramel and a little bit of vanilla and a little bit of, like, fresh cracked pepper. Yeah. All in there. What I love that these, these like, distillation is a big thing, mm -hmm. right? Craft distilleries have popped up all over the place. But beyond, beyond distillation... Blending has been the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest artistry aspect to what, you know, spirit making mm -hmm. is. And you, you look at um, all the Johnny Walkers, right? Mm -hmm. Those are just blended scotches. So those were, you buy puzzle pieces from people all over the place and you're trying to replicate a flavor. Uh, cognac is almost done that way where Absolutely. the majority of cognacs are made up of 30 different cognacs to come up with that flavor of VS or VSOP or whatever and barrel uses that exact same mentality they don't really distill anything themselves it's all purchased juice from other distilleries and they blend it into their own blends and they are great at it I, I love it I mean the the mezcal that we had on the episode last week was the same thing he's the, they're two brothers uh, who are second generation uh, from Mexico mm -hmm. and they wanted to, they fell in love with agave spirits because their parents like wouldn't speak Spanish at home. They wanted to only speak English mm. and they wanted to, to kind of reconnect with their roots and sure. they got into it through agave spirits. And one of the brothers started talking to mescaleros and they're like, well, you know, we're too small. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. So they started buying up different lots and then blending them and aging them together. And I, I honestly like, Sorry, we got into the whole single malt thing because that was a really great sales technique. Yep. But if you can blend a beautiful whiskey, <clears throat> great. 
Can you make something awesome amazing? That's it. Well, the funny thing is, here we are in a cigar lounge, you know, and cigars and scotch go really well together. Mm -hmm. And I will constantly hear people that are just single malt, single malt, single malt, single malt. And I've tried to help them understand that there is no single malt Mm -hmm. if there's no blends. Correct. The blends fund the entire category to a certain extent. Don't get me wrong. There's certain brands that definitely shine. Uh, that we know of, you know, that are out there and whatever. But in general, mm-hmm. if there is no blended scotch market, there's not that great mm-hmm. of a single malt market. And I will put it again, I'll put it to anybody. Like, grab a bottle of Johnny Green or Johnny Gold, put that in your freezer, let it get syrupy, pull it out, pour a little bit of that, and crack a little chunk of dark chocolate. And sip on that together and tell me that's not magical. Yeah, that's a great like, thing. That's, like, that's... That's my gateway for people to understand how beautiful blending is. Yeah. Like, obviously, consistency is key. Yep. But on top of that, understand how great these spirits are, these yeah. bottles are. It's, it's such a great... Th- like, think about the amount of spices that we put into a sauce. Mm-hmm. It's great. And it was like, oh, this is incredible. Cool. Now you're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm single tomato origin only for my spaghetti. Like, no, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Now, that said, if you wanted to pull tomatoes from a single area or if you wanted to pull grapes from a single area and release a small version of that, I'm sure it's fascinating and amazing and delicious. I love that too. But that's not necessarily a successful business model. Well, you can make spaghetti sauce in 12 minutes if you wanted to, Mm -hmm. right? My grandmother used to always say, and I know hundreds of grandmothers out there that said, right, it's about layering flavor Mm -hmm. over time and adding those different ingredients. And that's what blenders do really well is layering those flavors. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, for myself personally, I was a goalie my whole life growing up. We're a weird breed. We've always had that kind of, they look at you like you're weird and you do, I have weird little rituals that I did before games and whatnot, uh, very superstitious. And when I started to meet blenders, I realized they're they're goalies Mm -hmm. of the distribution or excuse me of the uh, distillation world uh, in the blending and uh, one blender that I met the the first time that he nailed the blend for the company that he was working for he was wearing a yellow shirt that morning he had gotten into a fight with his wife uh, while they were leaving for something trivial Uh, he had scrambled eggs and because of the fight he forgot to brush his teeth and he nailed the blend that day so now every single time it's blending day he wears the yellow shirt. Him and his wife have a fake argument of some <laughs> sorts. He eats scrambled eggs, and he does not brush his teeth. I love everything about that. I'm glad I don't know him because and I don't I know can't what it was the house about brushing those, my teeth. <laughs> without those, I agree. I yeah. can't either. But it just it goes to show just yep. the artistry and That's the it. like. Nobody ever argues about the creative process of somebody mm-hmm. if they love the product that came out of it. Right? So if you love the spirit, you love the blend, you love whatever, then you love that creative process that comes with it. Yes, sir. It is Victual. Victual. We, victual. We, tr- mm. we tripped ourselves out there trying to think of it, but it is Victual. Is that V-I-C-T-U-A-L? A-L. Yep. That is correct, sir. Uh, they have a gelato shop in the front. Ooh, gelato is excellent delicious. Excellent gelato. Yeah, yeah. It's really and then good. you move back and you got all of your, your cheeses and your jams and a couple of fun, quirky things, and then you got that the cheese in the back and then the, the liquor. It's, it's awesome. incredible. Yeah, I got carried away when we went there and got a bunch of stuff to do charcuterie back at the cabin. My friend Effer mentioned in this episode, Bay, uh, her family has a cabin in Crosby mm. about a mile from there. And we were 
cruising through the city one day when they had just opened. They had just opened in uh, this cocktail lounge called Hardwater. Which also incredible. I didn't love it, but well, it was, they're, they're trying. I was there a lot. Maybe recently. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. I'd love to hear yeah. that. Yeah. They were very, very new and obviously working on some stuff and yeah, it just true. felt like something's needed work, but I'm so happy that it's there. And there's a lot of cool little bars. You can just grab a high life or what have you. And then the aforementioned Trailside with their unbelievable broasted chicken. But yeah, I had to gather a bunch of pepper jellies and meats and cheeses yes. and all sorts of stuff and bring them back and then go back into their tiny, tiny liquor store. They have really good wines back there. Mm-hmm. So totally. I have a feeling that'll be a tradition whenever we visit the cabin is going there and getting gotta. some things to nosh on and some bottles of wine so we can play late night board games at the cabin. Yeah. Wow. Now I'm going to think of roasted chicken for the next three right? weeks. Oh, oh my God. I'm so, so good. Uh, all right. Well, should we, uh, do you want a little pour of the, the Burrell? Uh, yes. I, yeah. I will help myself to that. Let me hand that one across to you. I always, every time I always think of TI, whenever I see that label, <laughs> I always think it's hard to yell when the Burrell's in your mouth. Uh, (laughs) um, all right so jeff to to close her down we had uh cj from the get down coffee company on Mm -hmm. here and he was talking about uh the term the god cup the first time that he had a a sip of coffee and it like exploded his brain and was like i have to figure out more about this Mm -hmm. like that the that specific coffee that made him go what the fuck yeah sure can you think of what your God cup slash God drink slash whatever we want to use for the, the name of it. What was the, where the meme of like the brain exploding in all of the colors where you were like, I have to figure out more of this and I want to never stop. Yeah, Eric, where yeah I mean, I, I would say that in our travels and the things that we do and the, the things that we're exposed to when you go to tales and you get these things and all these cocktail conferences, you're exposed to a lot of things. So there's a lot of those moments of the new product you have not tried before or, or whatever um, in the grand scheme. But I would say, though, the first time that I truly had single village me- mezcal, oh. when it wasn't a Montreal bond, you know, no offense to Montreal bond and, and what those do, but it didn't have the worm in it, right? Yep. It didn't have the moth bug. Uh, it wasn't a dollar fifty on the, the shelf, you brain. know. And all of a sudden, I felt like for the first time that I had that, that an entire culture was hiding from me, mm. <laughs> and I <laughs> tasted a- it, and I was like, "Holy shit! These yeah. are people." that I have never really thought about because that bottle was that entire village in a glass. It was everything That's about that. That's a beautiful way to put and it. And it just, it just blew my mind. I mean, the first time that I had Calvados, it definitely blew my mind because I was so used to Applejack mm-hmm. uh, and that concept because at that point in time, I'd only had Applejack. I hadn't had the Laird's Apple Brandy, the actual bottled and bond. Uh, so Calvados did, but I think Mezcal was more of an aha moment mm. because that to me was the connection that I finally had to the wine people that I spoke to on a regular basis that, makes that talked to me about terroir. That was the first spirit sure. that showed and screamed to me, this is where I come from. Deal with it. And I freaking love that. Do you remember what it was? That you- uh, it was um, it was Del Maguey, and it was before it was actually in the green bottles. Mm, sure. Uh, so it was like a testing kind of thing. And it was the San Luis, I believe, if I remember correctly. Oh, baby. Yeah. Blew my mind. I just, I couldn't, 
I had never uh, the Del drank. Rio, San Luis Del Rio. Yeah. Yep. Oh my god. Yep. I had I never that tasted anything like that. It was the first time that I had kind of that um, what we describe now as the Barbie doll head or the uh, the rubber astringency yep. that kind of comes mm-hmm. with mezcal, where I drank it and I was like, "That isn't offensive. That adds to." Whereas some of the stuff that yeah, I had it didn't before, dominate. it was dominating it, and it was just gross. It, it felt like it was spiked with something or something like that. So that was the true time where wow. I understood what balance meant. Yeah, and there was a, this, such an off-putting flavor that was counteracted by so yeah, many other things. For sure. That's a, that, that bottle is the bottle of McGay that really made me realize how spectacular they are at their program. Yes. I also have the good fortune of... Introducing Quam to McGay's because he had been told, this is a while now ago, but he had been told that like, ah, they're nothing special. I don't know who told him that, but I think he shied away from them a it little was bit. A, yeah, it was a uh, the spirits buyer at a liquor store that I'm not going to put on blast right now because yeah. that, that person no longer works there. Mm. Uh, but he literally was like, I was grabbing a bottle of the Vita. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, oh, that's shit, dude. Don't, everything from them is garbage. I don't love Vita because it's their standard protocol right, yep. and it's okay. But that was also no, the it's f- also first m- bottle that I was buying for myself. Sure. And he literally yep. was and just it, standing there. I didn't ask for help. Yeah. He was he just, just standing next to me. Told you not to buy something. And then literally great. said, it's shit. <laughs> Weird. And like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't buy anything from them. But he told you what they do. Yeah. Overall mm-hmm. is not great. And we were bellied up to the bar at Meteor uh, in Minneapolis to the far right side facing... Yep, the McGay the Gallery line. that had at the time probably eight bottles. At least. More, there's more now. But we were eyeballing it and we were drinking. What were we there for? There was like some theme night that we were there for and we were sipping on some really Yeah, they were just cocktails. trying to, I, th- I almost feel like it was a themed hot I think dog? it was like an Aquavit thing. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, it was like an Aquavit cocktail night. That was when we oh, met was the Tyson, that was when I met not, Tyson uh, from Scalvin. Yep, the Tyson Gamma, was there. And load. Guy was there? Yeah, it was the proprietor yeah. of Gamload was there. there. Yes, and that's the night that I met him, actually. But we were, you know, drinking and staring down the McGay, and I was just kind of offhandedly remarking at the ones that I had consumed previously. And I was like, I don't think I've had that one. And, you know, there's a lot of mystery to, like, yep. the variation of all the different villages that they utilize. And... Quam remarked to me like someone I haven't actually I haven't like experimented with them because I was told that like they're not what they're cracked up to be and I was like let's drink some and we spoke with Rob and uh, I I told him a particular bottle that I hadn't had yet and we made a determination let's get it and it was pricey but we were like let's do it because Quam was like if you're saying it's good it's good Mm -hmm. let's fucking drink it and I remember, and I love those experiences as Quam does, as you do, Jeff, as many people in our sphere love. I, I remember that experience of looking at Quam as he was sipping it and then being like, oh, what the fuck? And he's like, which one do we get next? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. This, Let's roll. It's brilliant. I, I love the, the how, so let's say you take a vodka, for example, right? Vodka can be made... From anything on the planet that you can produce a sugar out of or that you can change a starch into sugar um, from that. And you can tell, uh, you know, if you taste them quite a while, you can tell a wheat uh, vodka versus maybe a rice vodka or, you know, versus a potato. There's some small differences there. But you're taking almost the same maguey or the same agave 
um, or at least a genus of agave mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent. Like majority of mezcals are espadine uh, is what the most. So let's just say you take the espadine version and then you say you take theirs and then you take theirs. And the only difference is where it is. Mm-hmm. And it's dramatically different. And that's just fascinating. That yeah. is just so amazing uh, for such a beautiful spirit to encompass uh, an entire culture yeah, it's like that. Fascinating. It's kind of lends itself to where I'm at presently with my enjoyment of spirits. And we've talked about this. I'm massively into agaves. And I'm my enjoyment of rums is also growing in leaps and bounds, mm-hmm. moving at light speed at this point. <laughs> Speaking of things that we used to love that we don't really love quite as much anymore, I don't really give a fuck about American bourbon anymore. Mm. Like, I just, I, the seeking out bourbons yep. and, and the, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's a reality. The bandwidth, that spectrum of flavor is so much tighter for American bourbon than it is for rum mm. or for agaves. Yep. You're talking about you, as far as your fingers reach from one another, measuring inch to inch versus spreading your arms all the way out. Yep. Because the expressions that we're experiencing right now with mm-hmm. these unbelievable rums that we're getting from producers. All over the world. Producers yeah. like Transatlantic or yeah. the agaves Crazy. we're getting from Del Maguey and a myriad other number of producers interestingly my answer to this is uh i'm going to say a cocktail and i'm going to refer to a whiskey cocktail it's the parlor old-fashioned i had had old fashions and enjoyed old fashions and had been making them in my home for some time prior to having a parlor old-fashioned for the first time and it's not that what the parlor old fashioned presents to you is something that is not traditional necessarily. It's that it's just so well done. Mm -hmm. It's so beautifully done. The combination of the Pilanchillo, the Trinity bitters, which at the time were three bottles, not one. Yes. Yep. Yep. The combination of the rye and the bourbon. Yep the perfect Lizardo cherry, all of those elements, the orange, it just works exactly the way that those elements should work. That's the beauty of parlor, isn't it? The parlor burger is everything you want a burger to taste like because it tastes like a burger. The parlor old-fashioned is everything you want an old-fashioned to taste like because it tastes like an old-fashioned. It sure does. It tastes like a greater sum of its parts, but it doesn't overshadow the mm-hmm. individual parts that are in there. It's Correct. just right. Yeah. It's just everything's right. I it think is. a lot of people in Minneapolis would, would say the same thing. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the most beautiful things that's of been people, in our city, for sure. A lot of people listening to our voices right now are probably, maybe they didn't have an answer to this point, and it's occurring to them like, oh, absolutely, that would have been one for me. It, especially if we're speaking in terms of enjoyment of cocktails. I think a lot of people arrived at, their desire to drink well-crafted cocktails in a modern setting because of that particular beverage mm-hmm. in the yeah. Twin Cities, if, if you're a listener that is in the Twin Cities. A lot, a lot of people, more than any other beverage in this town, that, w- that would be the one. I also had the good fortune, and we remark upon this frequently on the pod as well, that this podcast is branded, coined, after a series I used to write called Libations for Everyone, where I featured 
bartenders and cocktail makers in our local frequency here. And I would publish a recipe from each person that I interviewed. I was the first person to publish a re- the recipe for the parlor of fashion. Nice. Uh, when I interviewed Jesse Held. And I remember, it, I remember when I spoke with him and then he, you know, extolled the virtues of that recipe to me that I, I somehow thought there was going to be something in there mm-hmm. that I didn't understand. The hardest thing about that recipe at that time was that I had to find a Mexican market that had bilinchio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to St. Paul, Cesar Chavez, find a grocery store. And it was like the third one I went into, which I thought was interesting, but it was in the produce section under the uh, center section that contained all the citrus <laughs> underneath it under <laughs> a, you had to lift up a little skirt. They were like, it's over there. So I had to like lift up the skirt and there were all these little corn husks mm-hmm. like laid bare, right? These little corn husks and you, you would have thought maybe it was fucking corn. Yeah. Because they're corn husks and it's kind of yeah. shaped like corn. Yeah. So I grabbed one and it was hard and heavy. Yep. And I took it home and I was grating it. I was microplaning. I was going to say four it. hours later, you get syrup. Yep. The way I was making it was um, gr- like fine grating it with a micro. That's and genius. then um, with the bitters, diluting it at, as I stirred it. Oh, okay. And then pouring in the yeah. spirit and just kind of stirring it nice. all together I like that which worked yeah but i remember that i was beside myself that oh man jesse's gonna let me publish the recipe and i remember even as i clicked publish i was like oh this is i'm not even supposed to be doing this he probably doesn't he probably secretly didn't actually even want me to do this but that was out in the ethos you know but the interesting thing about that is even if you make one at home the recipe's there for you experience yeah. right you go to parlor and one of you fine gentlemen or ladies is able to produce it for me while I'm sitting at the bar or Mm -hmm. out on the patio, or I have that parlor burger, which is, I don't pair a lot of cocktails with food because it doesn't work very well in almost every case, but the motherfucking parlor burger with the fries and the Swiss aioli and the the fucking old fashioned, it just works. Find me something that works better yeah. than that. I mean, one of the most one of the most decadent evenings of my life was the fifth year, the five year anniversary party of Parlor when it was all you can eat and all you can drink. Yep. And Jesse at the Cocktailian downtown, this event, this cocktail event, came up to me and whispered in my ear. He said, "Hey, did you buy your? Did you get? Did you get tickets yet to the five year?" No. And he goes, "You're coming. You got to come." I was like, "Okay, like I would love to come." Yeah. And he says, "Nobody knows this, but." We're giving this coin to everybody. Yep. And it's a five it's a five year anniversary coin. Every time you come in, you get your first cocktail free for the rest of your life at Parlor. And I was I turned to my wife a few feet away and I said, Okay, first of all, we're going to the parlor fifth year anniversary. Secondly, I am buying tickets for my brother and his at the time girlfriend. Yeah. Because can you think <laughs> of a better gift to give someone for Christmas? Never mind the party. Yep. But can you think of a better gift than to give someone the gift of a free fucking parlor cocktail every time they go to parlor for the rest of their life? Amazing. It and then the party itself, idea. all you can eat, all you can drink, bacchanalia, dude. Because I, I, <laughs> I told all my friends too. I told everybody, like, not everyone knows this, but you should come to the party. I had like 30 friends there. Wow. 
burgers coming out on trays. People just snatching just them off. Them. Yep. Old fashions, burgers. I ate like four and a half burgers that night. Ooh, that's a fucking That's win. impressive. Oh my God. Ridiculous. That was a, that was an experience. But yes, that parlor old fashioned, come on. Like that's. It's it, really good. It, it uh, kind of set the f- uh, foundation, if you will, like that, the Olivetto. Yeah. I would yes. argue. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think, like, there's probably four or five different drinks. Um, Lincoln County was a personal one for me. But I would probably argue maybe Jackson Pollock was probably the mm, most popular sure. at Town Talk. Yeah. But those three, I think, are, you know, none of ours from Manhattan's that even were on that list. I wouldn't consider those the classics that moved on. Okay. But Olivetto, Parlor Old Fashioned, and the yes. Jackson Pollock, I think, are a huge part of that way foundation. Up way up there. Of like what pretty much. the cocktail world sits on today. Yeah, it's it, it goes to show also, like just to make a final point, it goes to show that when I when I'm thinking about my enjoyment of something, if I'm going to put it on a scale, and I don't like to do that. I don't mm-hmm. I'm not gonna rate something on a ten point scale. But if you think in terms of you know, this is a this is a crude example, but it's a common one. Untapped is the app that everyone uses to rate beer, and there are people who refuse to give a five to a beer, right? Everyone has their methods to yep. determine their enjoyment of something. But the reason I'm making this example is if you look at something like the parlor old fashioned, and it's the way I look at a beer is a, is it what the producer intended? B, did you enjoy it? And how much C could it be improved in any way? Could it mm. be improved in any mm. way? I wish people thought in those terms. Is it what they intended? How much did you enjoy it? Could it possibly be improved? The third one, I think, is the most important one. Fact. Because if you yeah. consume something like the parlor old-fashioned and you say to yourself, I think it could be better. First of all, you're fucking lying. Second of all, tell me how, please. Yep. You know? right. and, and to me, that yeah. makes it a perfect old-fashioned because you cannot improve it. There's nothing you but can also, do to make it better than it is. I but also make sure that your answer isn't just for you because you like a certain spirit. Like, just because you're like, oh, oh, always. I only drink, like, fucking Bullet or something. Like, no, get that's that why, out of here. That's yeah. why it's three, you know, yeah. there's three yep. uh, pinpoints. 100%. And one is your enjoyment, because that's fine. But if for your personal enjoyment, you're like, oh, I don't like ESBs, but I drank one. I can make it better. Okay. Yeah. So you can say that for you, you're not an ESB guy, but was it what they intended? And couldn't it be made better? Totally. So if you take those factors, and those are fives, but your enjoyment of an ESB is a 2.5, then sorry, bro, give it a 4.25 or a 4.5 or something, right? Like, I don't think enough people take that into consideration. Yeah, They'll call something trash and then later say, but I hate five of the ingredients that are in there. Right. Well, then is that actually trash? No, yeah. it's just you don't like those five ingredients. So to somebody else, that was a dream. You know, so we, we shouldn't be quick to jump to yes. that because there's things that I don't like for sure. There's things you don't Certainly. like. There's things you don't like. Yes. I don't know. You seem to like everything. Except water chestnuts. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Hate them. It's a thing. What about roasted on an open fire? Water chestnuts roasted on an open fire? They would probably hiss like leeches. <laughs> Satan's packing peanuts. A lot less sexy when the song's about water I just like the concept of thinking about the Christmas song with water chestnuts instead of... (laughs) If you order something you hate, if you order something you hate, should you be publicly judging it? Or would that be boiling on an open fire? Am I right? Steaming. (laughs) You are right. You are right, Charles. Should Should you tell the public how bad the thing is that you knew you didn't like before you even consumed it? Yeah. 
Because it's mean, not for you. Like yeah. it's if it's not for you, then my all time favorite one star review that I've ever read as somebody who went Uh-oh. rogue a lot of times Uh-oh. was uh, when Tim Niver opened Moochie's in St. Paul. Oh yeah, and it was his grandma's. It was on the menu. It said it's grandma's red sauce, and somebody gave it one star because this is a lie. Because my grandma's red sauce didn't taste like that. Yep. Okay, <laughs> that's that. That's what you came here to say. Like, Their last name was Niver. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So is, is that like the equivalent of those like country <laughs> Yelp things that have been coming around recently where they're like, you know, Mexico, one star. Yep. All the cab drivers spoke oh, Spanish. I've talked about it before. <laughs> I will say, Jeff, if you ever want to make yourself feel at equal points, oh, very sad yeah. for the future <laughs> and very happy about how dumb, how, how smart you are. Uh, just read through the Yelp reviews of CERN, the pinnacle of science on planet Earth, the Large Hadron Collider. Yeah. <laughs> read through because oh the best one-star review came from a guy in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, who's never left Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Right. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, I'm going to find that. Go find that. I'm going to find that. If you don't find it, I will gladly share yeah, you the screenshot. I'm going to find it's that. Beautiful. That's amazing. What even is the question anymore? This has been a lot of fun. God Cup, right? Yep, God cock. So God cock? God cock? No. <laughs> I don't think that's the question. I've talked about it. Like, I've talked about the curry martini at PDT before, and I think that would be in the running. Mm. Uh, honestly, one of the cocktails was the first time that we made a Vesper uh, at Manhattan. Yeah, Manhattan's, yeah. Because our original cocktail menu was based mm. on trying to find the original versions of classic cocktails, and yep. that was the first menu that we produced. That was the goal. Oh, yeah. um, but if I had to pick something that just sat with me that I had to keep fucking just picking at. Honestly, it was the first time that I went down and saw uh, Brad Smith in New Orleans. Oh. Uh, Pre-Latitude 40, or Latitude. RIP and love him to death. Yes. God damn. Yes, 100%. Uh, he was a guiding spirit in, in my life in the cocktail industry. Yeah. And I do not remember, I'm so embarrassed to admit, I do not remember the name of his first restaurant when he was down there. Uh, before you got into the tiki side of things, I don't but remember. That's a good question. Actually. He was yeah, he was messing around with, latitude. with yeah. tiki stuff. Yeah, and uh, he made me a zombie, and I just honestly like didn't even know what to say because my only experience with tiki cocktails at that mm-hmm. point had been from a Pat O'Brien's Hurricane, sure, or some bullshit that somebody was selling in a plastic cup. Yeah, you know, I had never had. Because that hadn't hit. Like, Tiki hadn't gone everywhere yet. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, and I went down to New Orleans, and we went to his restaurant, and he asked what I wanted to drink, and I said, whatever. And that was my first experience into that. And I realized that I had ignored, through all of the shit that we had gone through, Mm I had ignored everything about Tiki because it didn't seem like that was something that, like, Minnesota... Could even wrap. Their it didn't heads seem right. Yeah. Right. It just seemed weird and, and like all the first of that. time we actually heard the term Nordic tiki when that kind of came around with the torpedo room at yep. Eat Street. Yep. And I was like, what? What is happening here? Yep. What Northern? <laughs> are we supposed to be doing this? Yep. Don't. <laughs> it, it it did it. It felt weird, and that the way that the thick acidic c- citrus cut through that ridiculous amount of rum. And liqueurs. You probably had three and a half to four ounces of rum. 100%. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. 
And I knew what he, I watched him make it. I knew what he was putting in that drink. Yeah. And I was like, there's fucking no way this is going to taste good because I had no experience in that. Mm -hmm. And that was much like when finding the Vesper made me understand martinis because I had been making martinis for people and it was, you'd pour vodka into the tin and shake it, pour it. And then you'd drag the bottle, the bottom of the bottle across the top of the martini glass. And then you're like, yeah. there you go. Martini extra dry. That's if they were progressive. Right. Yeah. Otherwise you leave it there. You move it farther like, away. Don't from touch you. that vermouth bottle. Yeah. Which is so sad because vermouth is beautiful and amazing. Well, and it is now that stuff probably was yeah, martini garbage because it sat in a rail for 12 months, sure. but. It was half fruit flies anyway. Yeah, it sure was. But I remember sitting there and thinking that somebody who had been a guidepost for me in the bar industry, who I thought I had like soaked up all the knowledge I could from him, the fact that he had been gone from Minneapolis for maybe a year yep. and just casually made me this thing, again, reminded me that there's an entire culture that I'm not even looking at. Mm -hmm. They're not hiding from me. I'm not looking at them. And then I started looking up because obviously way to put it, by the, way. the internet had grown a little bit too. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot easier to search for things. And when you start reading the story of a lot of these tiki bars, it's literally a celebration of what is great there in drink form. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden then jailbirds and then an actual hurricane. And then you go back to New Orleans and even like as campy as it is and it's pink glass, go to port call I will gladly make that drink for anybody. It's a great say, drink. Dare me, dare you to drink. tell you tell me that's yep. not great. You know. Yep. And tiki culture is going to change dramatically from here on out. Of I course. Mean, the the cultural appropriation aspect of it that is being removed, rightfully so, um, twelvefold, and it's going more towards the uh, tropical and watery aspect yeah, of life and living that too. versus actually the idols and these kinds yes. of. Things and that's that, it. I think that was and that's awesome. That was always the thing that that bummed me out was like. In order to have that drink, you had to put all of this like super offensive, gross shit up yep. at the bar. Yep, and that was never the case. You know, that was that was that was people watching the Hawaiian episode of the Brady Bunch <laughs> and then thinking like, let's come up with a concept around. This. I was a fan of the tarantula. <laughs> there you go. I mean, as you, as you are, but but that was that was where somebody who I knew and trusted and loved very much was like offhandedly going to be like, I'm just going to fuck up your world. And he set it down because he knew, like we had worked together. He knew what I drank. Yep. He knew that I knew my whiskeys. He knew that I knew how to make a great cocktail. Mm -hmm. He knew that I knew the classics. But he also knew that I was not remotely versed in any of that. Right. And that was a thread that I just kept pulling. And that still to this day is something that I do. You know, I'll still take the core and the husk of the pineapple and I'll make a simple syrup with that. That's sure. still something that I do. And that's yeah. like, that's all of those flavors. If you get your hands on them, that's what I want. When I travel, if I'm somewhere warm and I know that the citrus is better, that's the first place that my brain is going to go. Yeah. Is let's, let's make something with that because it'll allow the local flavors to shine. And it'll also bring back a little bit of history with that. And to me, that's, that's it. And it's also a way every time of making that, that I can give a little hat tip and, and a, a proud I love you to, to a good friend yeah, of ours yeah. who's, who's not around. Brad is amazing. He just, uh, not only did he become a great cocktail maker mm -hmm. in his own right, through his own path, 
um, which I truly love that about him, is that he didn't go the path, the traditional way that it was like, you went through the trees of the people that know what they're doing, right? We love the, the chef trees, we love the, the bartender trees, and we love sure. these things because it expands, it grows, it, it's great. But to see somebody that forges their own path mm-hmm. and doesn't look to the right or to the left, doesn't care that that person is supposedly popular, getting a bunch of writing, and they're like, well, I don't even know who that guy is. Brad was like, so? Mm-hmm. Move forward. My bar's right? busy. <laughs> but when it came to hospitality, Brad was second to fucking none. He was just cordial. And I know that's difficult for us to say, and I don't know if you guys have experienced this at all, but a lot of times family member friends that aren't in the industry will be like, well, let me know, how does the service at X place? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you don't want to ask me that. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I know everybody there. Mm-hmm. So when I walk in, I'm not saying I get special treatment. Sure. When you know everybody, mm-hmm. there is a feeling and a thing that happens that I cannot recreate for you if you mm-hmm. walk in as a common Joe or Jane off the street. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, true. So it's hard for us to do. But Brad Smith was the epitome of that. Totally. And people that followed him, I mean, people that were regulars of his here followed him to, to New Orleans. They mm-hmm. didn't move there, but they started going to New Orleans mm-hmm. three, four times a year just to see him. Yeah, that's tremendous. Mm-hmm. I mean, to this day, he's the only other human that I've been friends with that I specifically dressed up as for Halloween. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> it was I shaved amazing. my head and my fucking beard for it. You did. It was worth it. But yeah, I just, I don't know. That's, that's one that I'll always chase, and I will never stop thanking him for setting me on that path towards, again, as somebody who doesn't have a sweet tooth, I'm always drawn more towards spirit forward. Sure cocktails like the less juice the better a lot of the time mm-hmm. unless it's a little bit of lime or lemon yeah and he set me on a path that was like oh, it doesn't have to be like that yeah it doesn't have to be the sugary shit that it doesn't have to be a jimmy buffett song every time yeah. that comes around and <laughs> i will forever love him for that and then trader vic and don the beachcomber like kind of did this stuff to themselves mm-hmm. too like i remember going to hawaii and then realizing that every mai tai in hawaii is pineapple juice in it <laughs> And I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, this isn't a traditional Mai Tai, right? Well, then I find out, talking to people on the island, that Trader Vic himself was hired by Hawaiian Airlines to kind of sponsor the trips from California to Hawaii to boost the tourism. So he was going to come up with the cocktail. And they were like, well, you need to go, you need to put your Mai Tai in there. And he was like, that sounds great but I'm not giving you my recipe because that recipe stays in California. So he made an adaptation uh-huh. of his Mai Tai with pineapple juice in it. And now forever, the Mai Tai is pineapple juice in it in white. And like, we're sitting here bitching about it. was also like, in a financial partnership about? with one of the Why would you ever do workers? that yeah. when the guy who invented the drink did it to himself? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, and that's fascinating. It's, it's amazing. And that's every time you peel something back, you'll find a layer like that. Yeah. It was also, sorry, it was a financial partnership with who? Dole. Oh, with, okay. They were sponsoring, yep. trying to get people to people in the States to yeah, yeah, okay. bring it, pineapple in. That's anymore. like, the, that's the thing you'd guess if someone said there was a financial partnership. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's Chiquita <laughs> Banana, same thing. Like every, Basically everything that you like is really ugly if you dive into it. So sorry. Yeah. But it's, it's real. Uh, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for this. Thank you all like, for having me. You guys are awesome. I'm so excited so, for what's happening. Excellent. And uh, again, so excited. Um, is there is what's is there a website that people can look at if they want to find out if if Dashfire is available? Yeah, Dashfire.us. Okay. Yep. Lee uh, believes in very short URLs. Love it. So he got the shortest one he could. So Dashfire.us. And it's in about half of the states. Yep. 
So yep, uh, some other countries as well, and uh, awesome. hopefully that'll that's be expanding. great. Access. Amazing RTDs, uh, some of the best bitters you'll find in the market, bar none. And then obviously like spirits and the best RTDs, come. the best RTDs I've had. Not close. Honestly, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, I've had Death & Co. I've had a lot of RTDs from around the country. It's boomy. I have to, for a living, consume alcoholic beverages from all over the place for my fucking vocation. It's a tough life. But I, it's not... I, I would like to see the the line get tightened, but these are, these are actual oh. cocktails in a can. Yeah. And you can't say that about many of them. Yeah. These are actual cocktails. Anyway. Uh, we have a last dab. We have, a, we have our last. Do you want to talk about that? Shooter to do real quick here. And this is, uh, we talked a little bit about kind of the botanical aspect of Dash Fire and where we're going to be going as far as trying to play around and whatever. And on staff, we have Patrick, who is uh, the botanist uh, on staff. And he's doing, he's also a licensed forager. So he's bringing a lot of the herbs and, and botanicals to us. And one thing that he brought to us was the only uh native citrus is what they actually said native citrus to minnesota uh and it's called prickly ash but it's in the szechuan peppercorn family even though it's considered a citrus so this is a maceration of fresh dried so picked fresh then dried for about two or three hours in the sun and then we just macerated it in base alcohol uh and it is a trip this is fascinating. I'm just going to say on the nose, oh, I get what? straight pink bubble gum. Okay. So I love that. That's, that's love big that. time. Dude, big but time. That is, we just opened a hubba bubba. So when I taste, I never like to say things, right? Yeah. I never like yeah, yeah. to influence what yeah. people feel Not at like. first, right? You know, yeah. when you ever go up to them and you're like, does this taste like watermelons? Well, what are they going to taste, right? But this to me smells like every faux Fruit cereal. Laffy Taffy. Oh, yeah. Tricks. Like fruity cereal. Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles um, it for has sure. the smell. Holy shit. Tricks. Yep. Oh, Tricks is even better. Oh, wow. Holy shit. Holy shit. That is yeah. fucking awesome. That, and then, yes. That is within, so now your mouth's awesome. going to fill with water, but then within about, about 35 to 40 seconds, you're going to start to get that 9 volt yep. kind of little. That uh, just, uh, electric chewing on metal. Yeah, electric chewing on metal, just like the Szechuan peppercorn of, but it's a little bit more than your typical Szechuan peppercorn. Oh man, yes! I Give want all bottle. of this ever. Give me a bottle. So of that. this is one that we're trying to develop the cocktail oh, I, that we want to do, going. and then we want to develop the spirit out of this around into that cocktail is one of the ways that we're looking at it. Uh, oh man! But we'll see who goes first because Spencer is really trying to perfect this. Uh, and if he perfects before we come with a cocktail, then, hey, chicken or the egg, right? Mm. Uh, all right, off air, I have mad ideas. This is, this is, I want all of this. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. About to go. And that's what we really started to talk about was like, when you are making cocktails or you're making spirits or whatever, a lot of times we are going after flavor and aroma, right? Aroma is a big part of flavor and whatever. But we started to think to ourselves, hey, what are the things that we can do to kind of make your, your body react? That's it. Just a that, little bit. That that Sichuan peppercorn metallic oh, just yes. hit. That's yes. that's amazing. That's one of the incredible things about Sichuan peppercorn, clove, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. They elicit chemical and physical, biological reactions in your body, so you're experiencing another level of flair. Yeah. <laughs> like it's 
Boom. It's a it's experiential. It's and another part of the experience. Stephanie Marsh brought up to us when we let her taste this as well, and she brought up that with this nine volt thing that it's actually prepping your palate to allow yourself to eat more hot foods mm-hmm. after it, which I just I never even thought of that concept sure. personally. I've I've eaten those of but I've never thought about prepping it in that sense. But now, like you could go home and just eat a five oh alarm. Oh my chili. god, this isn't hyperbole. This is because they're again. Percentiles compounding, that's like a god cup moment. Yeah, honestly, that, like I'm, I'm. That is stupid. I still have that one is. hand kind of in the air because I'm still processing that. It's weird. Isn't this it? is something that, please, please keep going down this path because this is something that I will buy and give to yeah. everyone I know. <laughs> this can't be yeah. the last time I had that. Yeah, yeah, no, and it sure won't be. Holy shit! All right, well, but I had to leave you with a good treat. On, and on a special. that, I mean, you may as well just. <laughs> <laughs> Throw the three up and keep the hand in the air because it's and so now pretty. We can't, now we can't speak anymore. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no, it's just, <laughs> just mumblings and bumblings. Yeah. <laughs> wow, those guys drank a lot tonight. They can't Woo! even fucking speak. Uh, again, Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, thank you all. Uh, and if you don't have Dashfire in your community, please hit up dashfire.us. Yep. And, and honestly, like every single thing that they put out is so well thought through and so beautiful. Uh, Charles and I have some fun news coming up and uh, we'll be able to share that hopefully by the next episode or at least another episode out from there. Uh, and then we're just going to kind of keep building. I mean, any other housekeeping you want to do? I don't think so. Right. I'm, if you're listening to this on the date that it released, I am a guest on Boveda's uh, YouTube show. Ooh which will have already released. So you can look at the YouTube channel for cigars. Boveda, B-O-V-E-D-A. They do, um, obviously, they're friends of ours that do humidification packets for cigars, but I'm, I'm going to be on the pod, on their video pod, doing pairings for cigars. Second time I've been on there, but yeah, check them out. Also, if you're not a cigar fan, but you are uh, perhaps a marijuana fan, uh, all of the products that Boveda offers are incredible for making sure that your flower stays beautiful mm-hmm. and moist and exactly the way that you like it. When you Tobacco, flower, and musical instruments. There you go. Yeah. Mm. That's Probably a party musicians. right there. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, throw that in your guitar case. Seriously. I, I truly, truly mean it. It will change, especially if you live in a climate where humidity fluctuates. Please, please, please think about if you have a nice guitar, show. throwing something like that in your case. The show is called Unbox Live. Beautiful. Uh, We love you guys so much. And uh, shit. We'll see you next time. Bye. Peace.